0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Scotty Talks NBA. Um, this is a very special edition. I am greeted with my very special guest and my boy Dylan Davis and my other guy. Welcome to the show. First timer, Brock Landis on the show, guys. If you guys want to go ahead, shout each other out, hand out your Twitter handles, make sure everybody's following you, knows where to find your content, guys. I'm going to get this episode shared out yeah go
1: man ahead, i'm dylan. just I, i'm just honored to be on with the big unit bro that's all that's all it is right now who's the
2: big unit <laughs> you come on dog if you're the big piece i can't be the
1: big unit
2: <laughs> lack of creativity first minute of the show go ahead dylan I'm. I'm on you can
1: you. follow me at dylan jd 98 but the better follow is at landis brock this come man on. this man sees uh sees the game through a different light but uh let me, get Brock, let me get Brock's meat out of my mouth and go promote DSM <laughs> Media for a second. Um, guys, we are doing a giveaway at DSM Media. It's myself, Scotty, and Gint. You have to be subscribed to our YouTube and our and our Twitch accounts to be entered into the giveaway. Scotty's about to flash it on the screen. Is it a Joel and Bead City Edition t-shirt? Eee! In honor of them getting in um, as the number one seed into the playoffs. And we'll be doing giveaways more frequently. A lot of Sixers to start as they are the main topic here. Um in the city of Philadelphia right now. But so subscribe to DSM Media on YouTube and follow us on Twitch. Um, and then that's all you got to do, really. And then you're entered to win a t shirt. So it's not that hard, guys. One button. Press one button on your phone screen.
2: <laughs> that's simple. Go ahead and do it. You can find me on Twitter at Landis Brock, that's right here. And on YouTube, it's reverse brock. Landis, just my name. But I mean, Dylan, he said it perfectly. You took the words out of my mouth. Go ahead and follow everybody over here. Go ahead and follow Scotty. Dylan, if you're watching this, you probably already are sub to them. But nonetheless, they do great work. And guys, I appreciate you having me on. I got to say, I've been keeping an ear to the streets. I was, I was watching the Kwame Brown and Matt Barnes beef a little beforehand here. So I'm not sure if we're in tune with what's going on there. But I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit maybe at the end of the show and, and get your thoughts on what's been going on there.
0: Yeah, that's, a,
1: that's Yo, a let crazy. me, let me say this. I'm used, the only video I've seen is Kwame Brown driving on his Instagram live. Stream. That's a shame. <laughs> that's that's, that's the only one service. That's the only one I've seen. So I, I'll hey. sit back and relax and let you guys fill me in on that shit.
0: At the end of the show, I'll let, I'll let Brock kind of debrief us on each video. Yeah. Cause I'm not yeah. sure if I've seen all of them, but I have seen mm. like Matt Barnes response. I saw Steven Jackson's response, and then I think I've seen like three or four different videos. Didn't before. he say yeah.
1: something about Stephen A. Smith as well? Because Stephen of A. Of Smith- course. I of think course. <laughs> Kwame's
2: been in like five different fits in five different locations on five different IG lives, airing people out. And I think it's hilarious. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that or talk about that at the end.
0: Definitely. It, it, it's, it's hilarious because it's Kwame Brown, and he's at the butt of all basketball <laughs> yes, in jokes. And he, I think he's just fed up, dude. <laughs> like,
1: well, that's I, the one that I saw that that was like, that's the one that I saw where he was like, uh, you know, all your jokes are about basketball with me. And he's like, I'm coming at your life at like, like, I'm coming at your real life. So I, I don't know what this. the hell's going on, but I guess I got to go check it out after this. <laughs> I
0: have to, bro. You're doing your stuff. All right, guys. And uh, as they mentioned, guys, be sure to subscribe to the DSM media page on YouTube. I just want to, you know, emphasize that. That is the main yeah, point man. of us being here. Um, we're really trying to get that to take off. So it, it is very important that you subscribe to that channel as well as our Twitch page. Um, and like Dylan said, we will uh, enter you into that drawing for the Joel Embiid City Edition T-shirt. Um, who doesn't want a Joel Embiid City Edition T-shirt? For free. They're the number one seed in the playoffs. Free shipping and just right at your doorstep. All you got to do is hit subscribe and follow on two different exactly, accounts. Exactly, Back in
2: the mail, it's gone. That's simple. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. So uh, tonight, guys, we're going to get into some NBA, um, obviously, playoff predictions, regular season accolades talk. Um, definitely want to get you guys' opinions on some of these awards. Some of them have been announced already, but um, we'll get into that. Of course, we'll get into some Sixers talk. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about our um, most intriguing play and matchups. Well, there's really only one left, so um, we'll we'll kind of just hover over that Lakers Golden State matchup there. But um, let's let's get right into it, guys. Um, we can go quickly through the accolades thing. I do want to spend most of our time on the playoff predictions. Um, MVP, who wants to go first? Who wants to give their case for their MVP? Who is it? Who, who do you guys got? I'll, I'll send it to you first, Dylan. Um,
1: I know a lot of Sixers fans aren't gonna like this, but it's the Joker, uh, and it pains me to say that something about him irks me. I talked about, I talked this with, uh again about this earlier, but um, guys, I'm not saying that he's better than Joel Embiid. I'm not saying he's the better center. He's not, but he is the MVP of the league right now. Like, you, you can get mad at the he hasn't missed a game argument. But it's in the argument. He hasn't missed a game. Joel Embiid's missed 20 or so games in a 72-game season. Joel Embiid went on the floor as the most dominant player I've seen all season long. But you have to be on the floor. I get it. Joker doesn't play. Great defense. Um, I get Joel Embiid scores the ball more than he does. I got all that. When Jamal Murray went down, what was each and every one of us saying? Denver's going to plunt. Like, Denver is going to struggle now. That's a shame. Like, Joker's having an MVP season. Like, they're done. Dude. He's elevated them. They've rose. They've risen in the standings to number three in the Western Conference compared to where they were before the pre-Jamal Murray injury. They won like nine of the next ten after he got injured. I'm sorry. He is the MVP of this league. It's, it's him. It's Joel. It's Steph. With Steph, to me, you just can't be an eight seed and win the MVP. I get that roster. I get Steph's the scoring champ. I get he's been unreal. You can't have the number seed and, and win MVP, and that, that's just kind of where I'm at right now.
2: I respect that. So listen, I think four of the top five players in the MVP candidacy right now all defy everything on the basketball court. Like Embiid moving the way he does, impacting the game he, do, he does at his height, his weight, it's unprecedented. Nikola Jokic as a passer player from the high post, mid post, it's unprecedented. All right, Dylan, I'm going to disagree. I think Steph Curry is the MVP. And I say that because he kind of took the words out of my mouth again. Look at the Warriors roster. There was a Ringer article today about the Warriors, and Draymond Green said him and Kevon Looney had to take everybody on that roster to school, and they had screen-setting classes. So essentially 30-minute film breakdowns on how to set screens for Curry because the roster just didn't know how to do it. So coming off of an injury – The Warriors draft James Wiseman, Wiseman offensively a baller, in my opinion, defensively sturdy too, but Wiseman goes down. There's no center there. There's nobody to alleviate the offensive pressure. Steph Curry has to do everything. He probably carried the heaviest offensive load in the NBA. You look at halves with 20 plus points scored, way more than Embiid, way more than Giannis, way more than Jokic. They are an eight seed, which is a little disappointing, but look at that supporting cast. Giannis is an eight seed with that supporting cast. Jokic is an eight seed with that supporting cast, and mind you, Steph Curry is doing everything he does at the point guard position. So Jokic, his height and weight, he could get a bucket whenever he could shoot over a defender, get in the low post, get a bucket whenever. And be the same. Giannis, all he's got to do is sprint. He's just got to spam turbo. He's at the rack. He can get a bucket. Steph Curry is an undersized guard that's getting faced with doubles, triples, and quadruple teams at half court. That blocks his vision, and he really has no one to pass to. If he drives and kicks, Andrew Wiggins isn't reliable enough. He's been great since the All Star break, but that's Andrew Wiggins. Who's he gonna pass to? <laughs> would you trade him? Would more? you trade him for Nico a box Manion? of cookies? What's that?
1: Would you trade him for a box of cookies? Who? Andrew Wiggins.
2: Andrew Wiggins? No, I wouldn't. Am, am I the only <laughs> I one? Stephen A. Stephen A. Yeah. is a crazy, crazy guy. Crazy guy. <laughs> he's he's trying to milk everything for. For views and ratings and whatnot. So he's saying outlandish stuff like that. But I mean, listen, I think Curry is the most valuable player in basketball. And this Warriors roster without Steph Curry is historically speaking one of the worst rosters of all time. So uh, I think, given everything that Steph's accomplished this season, he's
1: deserving of MVP. So, so real quick, Scott, before you give yours all, like, I agree. Like, if any one of those three, four, five, there's a couple guys like you named that, that, I'm not going to, you're not going to get an argument out of me, really. Like, mm-hmm. I'm okay. I understand why each of them could win it. I'm the, same the, re- way. the reason I say not Steph is, like, it's more of a Joker thing than a not Steph thing. Like, yeah, the, the eight seeds are really the only argument I have over Steph. But when you look at the Joker and, like, even when you compare him to the Sixers and Joel Embiid, you know, yeah, the Sixers are the one seed in the East and the Nuggets are the three seed. So it seems off. But what are their records compared? I, I didn't look at this before, but it's very – it's like a game or two difference. Like, their records are almost identical. And like I said, when he lost Jamal Murray with 25 games left there, so, we everyone thought this Nuggets team is like a 5 or a 6 seed now. It's a sh- like, everyone was like, oh, that's a shame. The Nuggets had a chance this year. They were knocking on the door. He goes down season over. It's not really the case anymore. Um, but – yeah, like I said, I don't. It's it's not really an argument against Steph. It's not an argument against yeah. Joel. It's more so of just what he um, he's done this season.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'm I'm gonna present like a devil's advocate counterpoint to the you know Jokic conversation, but just to you know kind of fall in line here, I, I actually am going with Jokic as my MVP um, this season. Um, for similar reasons to Dylan, uh, the seventy-two ga- all seventy-two games played is is mm-hmm. huge for me, especially when I'm thinking about him compared to Embiid. Now, Brock brings up a, a great great discussion of Stephen Curry, and um, I don't know. I'm on the fence of Steph Curry and Joel Embiid for number two on my list. Um, obviously, I know there's bias in there with with Embiid, but mm-hmm. um, I, I have loved what this guy's done this season and the the dominating the thing about Embiid is domination I think for me and yes, for sure. when he steps on the court he's, his presence like this is a seven 2 like 300 pound man and there's not much you're gonna do about him if he's yeah. hitting jump shots if he's hitting three pointers and then he decides to go to the rack and dunk on your head like similar you know not similar to Giannis in that sense but just similar in that freakish athleticism um and and just you know skill but I got it. I guess what it is, I, I just got to give love to the big man. You know what I mean? Like Jokic. What what else? If, I guess my argument for Jokic is what else does he have to do?
1: Yeah, if it? not this yeah, year, when?
0: Yeah, yeah, if it's not this year then he's never going to win it, right? Like mm-hmm. the is through the roof. The the uh, you know, the passing is always there. He's he's a double-double, you know, machine. Triple-double machine in, in a sense. So, um I guess when I'm thinking about, you know, Steph Curry. And this, this might not be the the right conversation. I I just think about, you know, guys like Bradley Beal and, you know, the the counter argument there is like Russell Westbrook's averaging a triple double. So he does have help there. Um, But I think of them in like the same light, you know, when with their scoring ability and the ability to light it up, obviously Steph is on a a higher magnitude than, than Bradley Beal, of course. Um, But I don't know. It's just the eighth seed in the, the history that comes along with the MVP I guess that's where it really bothers me because then I think about, you know, teams that Kobe Bryant was on yeah. and it's like, oh, he didn't get MVP because his team wasn't a certain seed in the Western Conference. And it's like maybe maybe that's not the right way to go about it, you know, going forward. You know, maybe we should change the direction of the history. But I think it kind of taints the history if you do, you know, you know you yeah. kind of go away from it. Similar to like, uh, you know, having a 72-game season. That season can no longer be compared to eighty-two game seasons anymore, right? Like, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with the MVP, you know, voting as far as how I rank it. But um, I'm I'm with you guys. I think there's probably three or four guys that could win the MVP, and yeah, I, I wouldn't care. Like Giannis could win the MVP. His numbers are similar, if not better, than his numbers when he they won the, MVP the last two times. So. I'm not gonna get mad at that, you know what I mean. So I, I'm I'm with you guys on that sense. Ken,
1: sticking on the MVP conversation for a second. Me and Gint, like when we did the show earlier, um, and we were talking about MVP and stuff. And I wish he was on here with us because it would have been like two and two. We need a tiebreaker because he's he's Steph um for MVP, but like he's kind of you know the same way. But um, the CP3 argument. That's I'm not it. getting it, dude. I'm not. Oh, you don't get the- it. No, I, I don't, and I, I was going <laughs> back and forth with the commenter. Is in the combo. No, here's my thing with it, bro. Like, so, And someone said the other day, like, oh, like, this is the same Suns team, but adds CB 3 and now they're a two-seed, and they're dominant in the West. Okay, wow. Here's the thing. He's not the best player on his team. That's fair. <laughs> so how can he be the MVP if he's not the best player on his own damn team? And someone was like, oh, well, best doesn't mean most valuable. Okay, sure. I get that. If you take Devin Booker off the Phoenix Suns, are they the number two seed in the Western Conference with just Chris Paul and not Devin Booker? Hell no. I'll answer that one for you, too. Hell no, they're not the number two seed or even close to it with just Chris Paul and not Devin Booker. He's not the best player on his own team. I don't know where it came from. I guess because the Suns have surprised a lot of people, and he's like the new piece, and he's he's CP3, and I love CP3. He's an all-timer. He's not in the damn MVP conversation, dude. I don't understand. It.
0: I think it, Honestly, I and this is just me guessing, I think it stems from his time in OKC and just seeing how he can turn around these young teams. But you had something to say, Brock? Go ahead, man.
2: I was going to say there's two problems. The first, we're taking LeBron James for granted because he probably could have won the MVP every single season for the past 10, exactly. except there, there's just no parity. And it kind of gives people like these runnings for MVP where it's like, based on voter fatigue, we're not going to give this to LeBron for 10 straight seasons. So the next best is Giannis this year, where the next best is Harden. We'll give it to them and reward them because otherwise it wouldn't be fun if LeBron won the award every season. So that's the first thing. The second, I think people really struggle with like contextualizing data and statistics. So they might see Phoenix's record. They haven't made the playoffs in over a decade. They see where the Suns were projected to be, where they actually are and they take all that and throw it into a blender. So in a blender, yeah, Chris Paul is an MVP candidate, but in reality, I don't think he is. So I agree with everything you guys are saying. Scotty, I really like your point with Embiid. He might not win the most valuable player award, but in terms of most dominant, there's nobody more dominant. Like Striking the fear of God in a five players on the court, this dude's size is something we can't match up with. If he hits his J, he'll hit it from 15 feet, from 30 feet under the basket. He'll Cook someone with his handles. Defensively, he's going to shut everything down in the interior. So in terms of most dominant, like he's one of seven players to only average 16 in the first half. And it's like Michael Jordan, it's Kobe Bryant, it's AI, it's Tracy McGrady. So up there with some legends. And he's doing this with like 12 free throws, at least a game, (laughs) regardless of how you feel about free throws, they're free throws. It means the teams can't hold him. He's too big and too strong. So he's most definitely the most dominant, but I mean, you look at Jokic, 26 points per game, almost a triple-double on over 50% shooting, over 40% from three, and over 85% from the line. Like, that's elite company. So all three of them, Steph, Embiid, and Jokic, have great cases. But Giannis, too, Scotty, like you said, he won the MVP, and his numbers are better this season than when he won the MVP, so that's justifiable too. I'm just glad I don't have to make that no. decision.
1: You guys, are, you guys are talking about Embiid being the most dominant, and by the way, I agree wholeheartedly. But we had a comment on the Daily Dose earlier, and this dude said we were talking about like, and we'll get into playoff predictions later in the series. But this dude was talking about the Nets, and he's like, "Let's be honest, like we have no chance against the Nets if Kyrie, Harden, and KD put it together, we have no chance." And he goes and he says this at the end: "All, all they." All it takes is for them to uh, find a way to shut down Joel Embiid. Now, where are they pulling that out of their ass from, bro? Where's bro? Where are the Brooklyn? You know where they
2: are. You know Joel where they Embiid, are. dude. They listen to the mainstream media and the content creators that have followings and just scream in front of a camera to generate views. They don't watch the game. They'd rather somebody tell them about the game or the players and then be told they're right or wrong than actually you know, fish for their own opinion. So, I mean, it, it just shows a lack what, of understanding. What
1: are you going to do, bro? Are you going to throw DeAndre Jordan at him? Are you going to double him for seven games? What, what are you going to do? They're, they have no answer. And I'll
0: just say, like, But Dude. that's that,
2: that's a good prerequisite because we're definitely going to have a conversation oh, yeah Brooklyn and Philly, yeah. Brooklyn and Philly yeah. that needs to be had. For so sure, let's keep rocking.
0: Um So I guess what we can kind of end the MVP segment on is, you know, I think I think we should clarify, you know, for people that do think that like Chris Paul is an MVP candidate. I've heard, you know, and and part of me does agree with it. Part of me gets what you guys are saying as well. So like Julius Randle, I've heard him brought up in MVP conversations. It's like, right. they, yeah, maybe if you have like 15 contenders for MVP right. and you had to select like 15 guys, that would be in the conversation. But there are tiers to the conversation. So, you know. Everybody outside of the four guys that we just mentioned are probably in that next tier of MVP candidates. Yeah. So I think I think we just gotta, did, you know, did Julius Randall
1: make the all-star team
0: our standards, he you did, know right?
1: what we're talking about yeah. here. But that's what I'm saying. Like I just forgot that that he did.
2: <laughs> well, if Chris Paul's so, in talking conversation, fringe Julius more. Randall has to be there. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, okay. In except sure. except except yeah, in a vacuum, except for the fact that I'm just saying fringe all star player does not turn into MVP.
2: <laughs> hey, you ain't going to disrespect Julius Randle in this live stream. That's my yeah. dog. Yeah. I love Julius that's fine. I let, I let, that,
1: that's all good, bro. I let Toby disrespect him at the game I was at at the center okay. a couple months okay. ago. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, guys. So we got Jokic, Jokic, and Steph, Steph. Yes. down, down below there.
1: Yeah. For all um, the people that are going to say we're biased Sixers fans,
0: there you go. Yeah. Nobody picked, no one picked, picked Joel. There. Hey. If he wins, I'm not going to be angry. Don't get me wrong. I'm rooting for him. You know, um, I got to be objective at least. Um, So let's move on to rookie of the year. And this might be an easy one for you guys. It's it's an easy one for me. Um, Obviously, I'm going LaMelo Ball here. Um, Brock, I'll I'll throw this one to you first. Um, Who's your rookie of the year? See, this is
2: another tough one for me. There's really only two awards that I think are Uh clear-cut winners. The Rookie of the Year, I want to say it's LaMelo Ball. I mean, he exceeded every expectation. He kept Charlotte afloat when he went down. Charlotte stayed afloat. Unfortunately, that play-in game yesterday might negate what what people decide with Rookie of the Year. Did they know
1: that was a play? Did they know that was a play? I I don't know. I don't know somebody.
2: (laughs) Apparently not. Apparently not. But I'm inclined to think that if you're going to deduct – I guess, points per se from Joel Embiid in the MVP conversation for missing games, then you might have to hold LaMelo to that same standard. And if you do by default, I think Anthony Edwards has to win rookie of the year. And I think LaMelo coming out of where he came from, like playing in the NBL and everything, people that watched LaMelo, they knew what LaMelo was like Mike Schmitz scouts. Everyone knew what Lamelo's ceiling was. He will be as good as he wants to be because he's that talented. Whereas Ant, He was picked. Everyone's like, well, the kid likes football. The kid likes rapping. He's rapping the little baby. He's a thug. He's not going to do this. He's not engaged. He doesn't like basketball. People were disrespecting the hell out of Anthony Edwards. He gets off to a rocky start. COVID hits Minnesota. He's shooting like 42% from the field. He doesn't even compare to Tyrese Halliburton at one point. But then ultimately, and Edwards turned everything around. Like he posterized five dudes in one week as some of the best dunks of the NBA season. And statistically... He went out and turned everything around with field goal percentage, three-point percentage, points per game. The efficiency skyrocketed. And if you watch him play, like he developed real quickly, just navigating around screens, knowing where the defenders are, how much space he had, getting buckets. He just opened a bag that he didn't really open the season with. So I think if you're going to deduct points from LaMelo by default, and Edwards wins. But if you're not going to do that, Scotty, I agree. LaMelo is the clear-cut winner.
1: So I agree that it, it comes down to two. I don't think there's anyone else in the race or even close to the race. Um, but what I'll say, Brock, like I completely agree with your point. If you're going to take points off of Joel for MVP, you'd do that as well. But if we're talking seeding for MVP as well, you have to do the same here for these two organizations that aren't very good. Exactly. Um, And Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves are a laughingstock. They're awful. And, LaMelo Ball, you know, comes in and the Hornets aren't a very good team. They weren't a very good team, what by any means. And, you know, they were in a playing game. They were an eight seed for a majority of the season, you know, and then they had to play in the playing game as what were they, the nine or 10, I forget. But, um, so I mean, I guess if they were the nine or 10, it's not that far off. You know, they, they wouldn't have made the playoffs in a real year. Minnesota wouldn't have made the playoffs regardless. Um, so it, it's very tough for me. Um, and part of me almost, let me ask you guys this too, before I like give my pick. So obviously like Ant Edwards was the higher selection. So like he get, he's getting a lot of news and a lot of noise around him too, but we know the ball name. We, we trust Like everyone knows that family, right? So do you guys on and like when you see sports center and ESPN on Twitter and everything posting every little thing Lamella ball does, do you like, I remember the Sixers beat Charlotte's ass on the road earlier in the year. And he got a steal and then splashed a three with, like, 40 seconds left to cut the game from, like, 13 to 10. Like, it, it was over. And they were like, LaMelo Ball says the game's not over. I'm like, bro, the game's <laughs> over. So, like, do, do you guys think, like, just the hype over the name and over LaMelo Ball, like, plays a role in this too? Not that he wasn't spectacular because he's, he's one of the two options. But, like, do you think that plays a factor
0: too? So I, I would say definitely. Um, but I think what it really what it really means is that he was able to, you know, exceed live up. Yeah, okay, sure. or At least live up to him. You know what I mean? If we're still raving over him, you know, after the season has right. concluded. Um, I, I think, you know, to, you brought it up, I believe, Dylan, um, you mentioned the, the fact that the Hornets were at the eight seed for most of the season. And when LaMelo Ball was playing, he was like, they were a four or five. Yeah, he had them peaking at, like, a four or five seed. That doesn't mean a ton in the Eastern Conference. Um, but I, I think what really does it for for LaMelo Ball for me, and it's it's not really the stats. Like, he has great, you know, he has good, great rookie stats, honestly. Um, it's really just kind of the, the personality and the, the aura that he brings to Charlotte, who really didn't have, like, that swag or, like, that identity. And he kind of gives them – he's given, like, the Hornets life. Um, and, and on top of that, he does—he plays winning basketball. You know what I mean? He's—he's a, he's a facilitator. He makes other guys better. So I—I I think you know I get the Ant Edwards. I—I I get it. He—he he definitely turned it on the second half of the season after the All Star break, and uh, he was playing when simply Lamella Ball just wasn't playing. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it, it's like you guys said—it's—it's it's really just preference at that point. It will be a tough conversation. I think that's a good point. Um, you both brought to my eyes, you know, I really wasn't looking at it that, that closely, I guess. Um, but after you guys presented points about Anthony Edwards, I, I see so, it. So I, I could see him winning as well. Um, but my vote would go to LaMelo Ball. So here's
1: my pick. And I know this is going to sound a little harsh because both guys are rookies. Anthony Edwards is not, is he, he's not even the legal, he can't even legally drink a beer. Right. <laughs> so, and so this is going to sound harsh, but when, you know, when you watch the Timberwolves and the dumpster fire that they are in the rankings, uh, where they stand in the standings, it just screams, you know, blank stats, right? Lamelo's stats, Lamelo's numbers produced a playoff worthy team for 95% of this year. So I'm gonna give my pick to Lamelo. Um, again, to me, it comes down to two guys. Whatever one wins it, you're not gonna hear a fight out of me that the other one should have won it. Same thing with MVP. Um, so that's kind of that's that
2: another thing to consider, too, is there was no NCAA tournament, no March Madness, no SEC and really no off season. So these guys are baptized by fire, like 19, 20, 21 years old. They have a, a little to no training camp. They don't know who their teammates are, what their teammates Correct. do, some 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 new coaches. It's just all these different situations. And I think this draft class more than ever is probably going to take like two or three years to really develop. And who knows? Like I say this all the time, right? I compared De'Aaron Fox, or I should say the other way around, I compared Tyrese Maxey to De'Aaron Fox in, in in their college statistics, the way they got their buckets, how they play. But the thing is, if there is an NCAA tournament, and Tyrese Maxey balls out, drops 18 a game, 20 a game, he could be a top five pick, and yeah. then he could be in a completely different situation. Right, bro. Think, think of Dante Divin- of the Year.
1: I know so- this is like home homegrown thought here, but think of Dante Divincenzo.
0: Yeah, like he, right. he's he's he's
1: important to Milwaukee's success yeah. but like Super just look he was a freshman and like he like yeah that year that regular season at Nova he was good the only reason he came out that year is because of the tournament and the national championship that he had in 2018 yeah. and that's what re- that's what dri- drove his stock so yeah completely agree if there is a tournament to the tournament just raises eyebrows a thousand times more and they didn't have that this year so yeah
0: and I, I like that Brock brought up uh, Tyrese Maxey too. So I, we're, we're actually going to talk about him a little bit later when we get to the Sixers. But do you guys think that he is of the caliber that he could have potentially stole this award? Maybe if he was in a different situation. Um, obviously, you know, not behind Ben Simmons and, and company.
2: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I absolutely do because you got to think like Lamelo has mouths to feed. He was coming off the bench. James Borrego says, we've got Devontae Graham. We spent money on Terry Rozier. Gordon Hayward's here. There's mouths to feed. And he was playing that facilitator role for a little while. But LaMelo did have some shortcomings still. Like the three ball, he had to improve that. Getting to the basket, he can always do. But finishing was a little bit of a problem early. So he had mouths to feed on top of the fact that he had to really settle into a role. And Edwards had a a terrible start, to say the least. James Wiseman gets hurt. Who's to say that Tyrese Maxey, I don't know, gets drafted top five with not many mouths to feed in a good situation. He might average 20 a game, like legitimately in the eight games he started. And of course, circumstances, because he might play depleted teams and play in a certain role where he doesn't have guys to feed, but he averaged 30 points per game in the eight games where he started. So who's to say maybe he ends up in a different situation where he's the head man, he's the starting one or two. He can most definitely compete. And the thing about Maxi is he's already got the driving game on lock, like driving and finishing. It's on lock for him. Everything else is secondary. Now learning how to shoot, defending growing into his body. But the fact that he's this young and already knows what he has to do in the NBA, like he knows his game. That's crucial because a lot of guys, his age and, and, and guys in general period will go years without ever determining what their game is like, what'll work at the next level for him. It was seamless.
0: Yeah. And what's crazy about, you know, Maxi for me, and and you kind of hit on it, Brock was when he comes in the game, it's, it's full go. It's like, Mm -hmm. he's going zero to 100 when he enters the game and you see the energy just doesn't really stop with him. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Throughout the game. Now he's playing a minimal role, you know, who's to say that he could keep that up, you know, for a full 72 game season playing, you know, starter minutes. But I tend to lean on to the side that he, he would, um, I think his personality is what what really does it for me. When seeing him once he got drafted, what I was so excited about was just him in the gym. Like he's a he's a hooper. He's not a basketball player, so he's he's a real baller. He he really loves the game, and you can kind of see that in the way he plays, and it's just so smooth. Um, But that's that's where I would lean on that. I'll let you go, Dylan. I just I really think
1: it's too hard to tell. Um, I love Tyrese Maxey. Yes, for everyone asking or wondering, I would have traded him for Kyle Lowry at the at the trade deadline or earlier in the season. Um, but for what it's worth, sure he could be and I've seen gr- I've seen great glimpses of it. I mean, when you think of the what the 37-39 point performance against the Denver Nuggets early in the year when COVID hit, when you think of that game the other the last game of the uh regular season when he was 10 of 11 shooting to start the second half or I mean to at halftime, excuse me. Yeah. Um when when you look at the fact that like a couple weeks ago, you know, he wasn't even a question in this rotation. People like, were like, Oh, what about Maxi?" But like real people that follow the Sixers know he was out of this rotation. And now there's like a question mark with his play. Like he might be in the damn playoff rotation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to say like, would he be in that tier, you know, averaging what 18 to 20, a game, 20 plus a game, you know, on a consistent basis. Again, we saw this against the Denver nuggets. We saw this, uh, against the um Orlando magic I don't know man i re- I really think it's too it's difficult to, to understand yeah. my, all, yeah.
2: my closing remark is that situation dictates everything and I'm just glad that this is the situation for Max sure. because you also have to consider doc Rivers is here and he's one of the best coaches with bullets and board material and instilling a culture instilling well, complex, we know how and he is with habits yeah exactly. But nonetheless, a great voice in the locker room, Sam Cassell, a former point guard himself and a scientist in terms of like crafting game, has been working with Maxi behind closed doors, no doubt, every single day they're together. And like, it's, it's easier to play the game with a guy like Ben Simmons on your team or Joel Embiid or Tobias because they're going to draw all the offensive attention or in his role where he's a second unit player. He looks great against second unit players like secondary point guards, backup point guards, but at the same time, I I just love his offensive game and the fact that he has it so yeah. sharp already that indicates to me that I think he could very well be an eighteen well, point game
1: scorer. And not crying about whistles, but he just wasn't getting any calls early in the year, bro. And that kid, he's that kid could, that kid. No, I agree with you, but that kid mm-hmm. could got hit by a, a by um, <laughs> an hard. iron freaking whatever. Like I don't even know what I'm trying yeah. to say. A baseball bat in the ribs when he's going up for a layup, and they wouldn't have called it. But now he's starting to get those calls you said he's starting to earn it. And I think that's kind of changed this game a little bit too. So, you know, I hope so. I just, I just don't
0: know, to be honest. All right. So we'll, we'll keep it moving. Um, so we had LaMelo, LaMelo and Brock, Were you going? I'll
2: to say a- LaMelo well,
0: too. So we got LaMelo across the board here. Um, next award that we're going to discuss and this one, I'm sure is an easy one for Brock. It is. Uh, I already know be, what you're
2: about to ask.
0: Might be easy for you as well, Dylan. Um, most improved player. Um, so I'm going to throw it out there. I got Julius Randle. I think this one is a very easy one. Um, all-star player, probably the only – I don't think there was any other person in this conversation that turned into an all-star because I think the other guy on my yeah. list was uh, Jeremy Grant, and he kind of settled yeah. towards the end of the season. But um, definitely Julius Randle for me. You, you see the uh, the point increase. Um, he's He's – handling the Knicks got him up to the fourth seed. Um, and still he's he's their offensive go-to, right? Like he's he's improved his offensive game so much. has become like a legit jump shooter. Um, can hit it from anywhere on the floor. And uh Dylan Dylan brought up, you know, the uh the Tobias battle that happened uh with the Knicks and the Sixers. Uh, towards mid towards mid-season there. And you know, while Tobias I, I think did win that battle that night Julius Randle gave him a hell of a fight, and he was he hitting crazy-ass shots. Yeah. Um, specifically, that one in the corner, I believe it was the tie of the game. Maybe I think it might have made it go into overtime. But um, I'll toss this one to you, Dylan. You look interested. You look like you got something to say. Go ahead. Who's your most improved this year? You said
1: Julius Randle almost won that battle, right? <laughs> who won that battle? The most improved player in the 2021 season. The, okay. that, that's who okay. won that battle.
0: Okay, Tobias.
1: Tobias, Tobias Harris is the most improved player in the NBA. Um, I, look, you can you can call it buys not YouTube but people out there you can call it buys whatever you want. This dude went from one of the people saying he's one of the worst contracts in Sixers history. He's not a max guy whatsoever. Al, if Al Horford wasn't here, he'd be even more put on a pedestal of how pissed off about p- that people were about that contract. If Al Horford wasn't on the contract here um, people hated him, dude. He didn't show up last year in the playoffs. He didn't show up most of last year. Uh, we know what he was for one season when we made that trade on doc, but then coming in this year, everyone's like, you know, it sounds nice. Like Kent and doc got the best out of him. Can doc get the most out of him again? It sounds cool, but it sounds kind of corny. Like nah, like I highly doubt it. Oh, until you see exactly what Tobias Harris is this year. Um, he's, you know, everyone wants to talk about Joel Embiid and a lot of people talk about what Ben Simmons does and what he can't do, right? Uh Tobias Harris is just as important to the Sixers team and just as important to the Sixers getting the number 1 seed in the entire Eastern Conference. He has been unreal. I think he finished the year averaging just under 20. He was at 21, 22 for a lot of the season. He's the number 1 seed. Trust me, I respect the hell out of Julius Randle having this Knicks team at the 4, but my man lost that battle every time they played this year. They didn't beat the Sixers once. I get it. He's got the he's got the lesser supporting cast, but when I just look at what Tobias Harris did last year, and then what he's been this year, hitting game winners over Alex Caruso and the Los Angeles Lakers at the Wells Fargo Center earlier this year, it's Toby, my dude.
2: So the fact that that was even a battle should tell you all you need to know about Julius Randle, because two no. years prior. Two years prior, he's not going to war with a 28 year old gr- grown man bucket getter and battling with him. Now, Tobias has always hovered around 19, 20 points per game on good efficiency. He didn't improve his game. What happened was the Sixers gave him real spacing and a coach that understands his game. So now, every night when he puts his shoes on and he laces up, he knows who's setting him a screen where, how much space he'll have, where he has to get to to shoot, and who's defending him. And mind you, Teams throw their biggest body at Embiid and their next biggest body at Ben Simmons. So by default, Tobias, he draws the mismatch on most nights. Whereas Julius Randle, he revolutionized his entire game. Career highs all across the board. Pull up threes, catch and shoot threes, threes in general. He was never a respectable three-point shooter. People look at the three-point shooting and think that's it, but it's so much deeper. You guys know I love playmaking and Ben Simmons' ability to assist and create three-point shots Well, Julius Randle's right there. He's been top five in three-pointers assisted this season because his coach is empowering him in a role where you're going to ball handle, you're going to get guys open looks, you're going to collapse defenses, you're going to draw doubles. And when that happens, look to the shooters, look to your teammates, look to guys around the perimeter. He's assisted so many Reggie Bullock threes, so many R.J. Barrett threes. Like, his development has helped so many players on the Knicks individually. And when I look at Julius Randle two years ago, like – I see a guy that leads the league in charges, doesn't have control of his body, a little bit overweight, not, not great handles. His handles weren't really tight and he was really a one-dimensional scorer. Now he, he can score at any level. So he's a multi-dimensional scorer. He could shoot the three mid-range layups, whatever. He's a lefty. He'll bully anybody and he could pass now. And because of that, like that improvement, which has also helped everybody on the Knicks, I don't think anybody came in more improved than Julius Randle. He said he watched guys play in, in the bubble last year, and he was pissed off. Like, he had to sit at home and watch guys, his peers, hoop, and he couldn't do it. So, he had to sit down with the Knicks owner, the, the new GM, everybody. They talked to him about what he needed to do to succeed, who he needed around him to succeed. They got him that. They gave him the keys. He worked in the offseason with his, his trainer, Tyler Ralph, and he came back a brand new player.
0: Yeah, and- who won
2: the battle? <laughs> well, the fact that that's a battle, it should tell you all you need to know about that's, Julius.
1: I mean, you you can take it from that angle, and it's not a, a wrong angle to take, but I mean if you watch Tobias Harris strap up his shoes and play basketball last season for Without the 76ers, you wouldn't I'm not saying all time throughout his career. I'm going off of 2020 to 2021. That that's kind of where my argument stems from. Not not all time. I I've seen Tobias Harris be a, a fringe all star in with the Clippers and all that. 2020 was an atrocity for Tobias Harris. He was one of the worst contracts in, in NBA history at the time in Sixers fans' minds. He was the guy that, you know, in some people's minds, the Sixers chose to max Tobias instead of Jimmy and blah, blah, blah. We kept him instead of Jimmy. And it was awful. And then you fast forward to this year, and, you know, the biggest question, here here's one thing that, like, comes to mind when I think of Tobias Harris this year. It's not just what he does throughout the game, dude it is the fact that one of the biggest questions that Get and I had raised was who gets the ball at the end of games? You need one bucket who's getting the ball. And obviously Joel Embiid comes to mind because he's the most dominant player on this team. He's the best player on this team. He's an MVP candidate, blah, blah, blah. Tobias Harris has had the ball in his hands at the end of games so often this year. And he's come through so often this year. And again, you know, to be honest, I'm messing around and I'm saying who won that battle. If Julius Randle wins most improved player of the year, I understand it, you're not getting an argument out of me once again with these candidacies. I'm just saying to me, Tobias Harris is more is most improved from 2020.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm I'm listening to this and and I get I get the Tobias Harris thing. I just think that it's more based off of the narrative rather than his actual game. So like I think Philadelphia fans are just irrational to a sense. Yeah, well, yeah, um, of course. Totally switch up on him last year. Because um, I, I was under the thinking, you know, I thought, you know, maybe with Ben Simmons out, Tobias Harris can really find himself in the playoffs. And I think that train of thought really kind of deterred me away from Tobias Harris, like once he didn't do that. But what I really realized was that everybody's just better when Ben Simmons plays. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. When Ben Simmons plays, Tobias Harris is way more comfortable um, but what it, you know, I, I think Brock touched on it. You know, his stats always hover around like that 21. To, I think 21 was like his highest he ever averaged mm-hmm. with the flippers. And then it's it goes down to maybe like the 17, 18 point per game range. And Julius Randle, you know, he I, I, don't, I don't know what his numbers were in his first year with New York. But I know he was averaging like a double-double with New Orleans mm-hmm. before he went to New York. Um, but I think the reason that I'm so sold on Julius Randle as most improved is one, my thinking of where the Knicks were gonna be this year. Like I thought that they were gonna be at the bottom of the East, um, you know, down there with you know the bottom feeders. And they're up, and, you know, they're the best of the rest. Like after the, the Nets, the the Sixers and the Bucks, it, they're the number four seed. Like, it's not the Celtics, it's not the Heat, it's not the Hawks, it's the Knicks. And I just think that, you know, Julius Randle the, the he's the, he's the man on that team. Like he is a dog and he is the main go-to guy. And I just think when he has this type of season compared to Tobias who does have the deferred. So he does have Julius or uh, Joel Embiid who who they go to first. And um you know when I look at Julius Randle, he's the first option for that Knicks team. Everything's built around him. So I think that's where I go with most improved, um, as well as the efficiency and the uptick in the in the metrics. Um, you know, Brock mentioned the three point shooting, which just simply he wasn't good at early in his career. And uh, you look at the trajectory, I guess, of Randall's career. Even you know, leaving LA after the the fractured leg in his first year, he was kind of underappreciated in LA. Then goes to New Orleans, actually puts puts up decent numbers in New Orleans, still underappreciated. You know, when the New York Knicks signed him, talk about bad contracts. People were calling the Knicks crazy because they missed out on KD and Kyrie that offseason and they had to settle for Julius Randle. And this guy has them up at the fourth seed in his second year playing for the Knicks. I just I think that's an incredible feat, but I definitely get where you're coming from, Dylan. I, I really do. Um, so we'll we'll leave it at that. So we got two Julius Randle and a Tobias Harris for most improved player. Um, we'll move on to defensive player of the year, and Another I, easy one. I think this one. Um, this
1: takes ten seconds, rounded
0: about. We could we could go around. Um, I and let me start it out by this. I I I will throw respect to uh, Rudy Gobert's defensive game. He's great presence in the middle of the floor. I hate that dude. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I, I hate I him do that person. But um, he he's he is a great presence on defense. But it, it's Ben Simmons for me, guys. And I, I went over this on my show on Monday, so I'll let you guys take the floor on this one. But Oh, shit. But um, <laughs> whoever wants to take it first, guys, go ahead.
1: That's 2-5. Go ahead, bro.
0: I'll, make
2: it, I'll try to make it short and sweet at least. If you have to do mental gymnastics to convince people or validate your own opinion that Rudy Gobert is the defensive player of the year and use things like D-LeBron, D-R-P-M, D E P M you've already lost. Now I heard yesterday that the odds for Gobert winning are like minus 10,000. I don't know if that's true or not, but here's what it comes down to. The sports nerds can say Rudy Gobert's the defense player of the year. The voters can say he's the defense player of the year in the fourth quarter. He can get played off the court. And I know historically that hasn't really happened. People have a misconception that that has happened, but here's what it comes down to, to me, you're playing Portland. Someone's got a guard up on Dame CJ or Norm Powell. One of them's got the hot hand, and Portland gets one more shot. Utah's holding two or three. Can Rudy Gobert check him? Absolutely not. He can't leave the paint. If Luka has the shot, if Kawhi has the shot, if Paul George has the shot, Devin Booker, Chris Paul has the shot, any guard that can shoot from 15 feet out and can dribble, if they have a shot and Utah's holding a lead and they don't want to get a three point or a two point make or give one up, rather. Rudy Gobert can't defend that player. So his numbers look great. And I agree. In terms of like rim protection and impact, defensive impact, like game planning against or not shooting or passing out of shots in the paint, Rudy Gobert is arguably the most impactful defender at what he does. But he's not the defensive player of the year because he only guards an area, he only guards a position. At the end of the day, he can't check more than one position. And the numbers are skewed in favor of him. Why? Because centers nowadays are the least impactful player on the floor. Other than the outliers like the Embiid's, the Jokic's. Centers are the... Like, if you're defending Steven Adams, Alex Len, Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez, your numbers are going to look great. Because those guys are going to shoot high percentage shots, but they're not high volume scores. So a player like Obert can keep them out the paint, block the shots, do whatever he's got to do. But it just comes down to this. If the game's on the line... Can you defend that player? Rudy Gobert can't. Bam Adebayo can. Ben Simmons can. And if you compare those two, I just think Ben's had a better season than Bam. Bam has defended a, 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 a more diverse variety of players, I'll say, like Giannis, KD, etc. But Ben, just in terms of like steals, blocks, being all over the floor, defending one through four, making Luca uncomfortable the way he did, Dame uncomfortable the way he did, I don't think there's a better defensive player right now than Ben Simmons. Yeah or you I should just, say I should say in terms of versatility in terms of versatility. It, you
1: just laid it out there dude and like I said this is short and sweet so we can move on it after this but like it's not the fact that he can he's the guy that that the Sixers throw at all these guys with with the ball in their hands I get all that he's the guy that actually goes out and does it as well sure. we saw what he did to Luca twice this season we saw what he did to Dame This season, like he go, he actually does it. Yeah. He's not just the body that the Sixers have that the Sixers like throw out there as their best option. He actually goes out and quite literally has shut down some of the best scores this game has ever seen. Like, like, (laughs) dude, it's really, it's not an argument in my opinion. Like you said it, dude, like no sport nerds can go out there and use this metric, that metric and whatever. And say that Rudy Gobert is the best. That's it for me, dude. Like it's he can guard one through five, yeah, and he does it at a dominant, dominant level.
0: Yeah, and I'll kind of just you know feed off what you guys said. We like like you guys said, we can keep this one short and sweet. Um, Simply put, you know what's harder to find: perimeter defense or interior defense? When you have a seven footer in the middle of the lane, I mean, it, it's hard to find. No, great, no, not
1: to mention Ben six ten.
0: Yeah. He's, he's actually listed at six eleven, exactly, with shoes
2: on. So exactly. him and Rudy Gobert aren't too far off in terms no. of height differential.
1: No, and don't don't ever forget. By the way, when we're talking, when we're having this conversation, and the voters want to vote when um the non-offensive threat, the four-on-five 76ers, Ben Simmons dropped forty-two with Rudy Gobert in the middle of the paint, and Ben only gets his buckets in the paint. So you want to explain to me how the hell that happened? By the way,
2: the reason I love Ben is because you've got a player that's willing to do whatever the coach wants them to do and whatever it takes to win. So offensively, I've maintained that Ben on the Houston Rockets could probably be a 25-point-per-game score. Now, again, situation matters, and who's to say that Ben goes out and drops 25 or he drops 15 like no one knows? But Ben's playing alongside Embiid and Tobias. They're both ahead of him on that scoring pecking order. A lot of players, especially making the money that Ben makes, wouldn't be okay with that. Like I use this analogy in another podcast, but you guys have hooped before recreationally at a park, whatever. If you've ever played with anybody that took 15 shots in a game, you want to kill them. You're like, who, who gave you the right? The Sixers have two players good enough to shoot 15 plus shots in Tobias and Joe. Ben understands that. And he does whatever it takes offensively to help spacing, alleviate pressure, get guys open, create threes. But on top of that, he prides himself on defense, and you guys know defense is hard. Playing defense with your hands out or up and not fouling, doing it against some of the best scorers in the world, like it's unparalleled. Nobody else is doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we can we can kind of leave it at that. Um, ben Simmons across the board for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I just want to go on record. Um, I don't think that he's going to win it. I do think Rudy yeah. Gobert will, will go yeah. ahead and snag that. Travis, until the But we we all know who deserves it. So that's all that matters. Um, We'll go to the next one. Um, This one's actually already been decided, but coach of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, This one actually was interesting because I had about maybe four or five coaches that I could probably give it to um, and and be content with. Um, At the end of the day, before Monty Williams was actually selected, I did actually pick him as my coach of the year. Too. Um but I'll kind of toss it to you guys this way. Did you did you guys agree with Monty Williams as the head coach of the year? And if not, who did you have in mind in place of him?
1: So Brock, you want to go first or
0: no go ahead. You already started. So I mean I,
1: I, I agree. Um however if I was throwing out again not trying to be biased, you see the wall behind me, but like when you just look <laughs> at the job when you, I'm being dead serious. When you look at the job that Doc has done this season with the 76ers, when you take them from a six seed last year getting swept in the bubble, I know that was without Ben Simmons, but to a lot of people's minds nationally or even in this city, Ben Simmons should be traded for this person, that person, this person. He doesn't have an offensive game, so who cares what Ben Simmons does? So they got swept by the Boston Celtics last year. Uh, they were a six seed, they were a disappointment. And then, you know, they come back this year, and obviously they hired Doc, they bring in Daryl Morey, a new coaching staff. Um, you know they they get Danny Green, Dwight, Seth, blah blah. blah. It all sounds nice. Let me ask you two a question: Do you expect the 76ers to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference this year? You did,
2: absolutely.
1: You did, absolutely. I think you're one hundred percent. I got. Receipts. I think I think you're a hundred percent drawn, and you're lying straight to my receipts, eyeballs right now. But,
2: but I also had Boston as a top three seed, so okay. you got
1: to discredit me a little bit. All right, I did not what's like I I, I love I was I was very hopeful for the 76ers but in no way shape or form did I ever think do they haven't gotten past the three seed or were they three four five they were in that range for a long for the Ben and Joel year so far and you get Doc elevating Joel to a MVP candidate he reincarnates Tobias Harris. You have all these things going, and they get the number one seed, and they're they have they have championship aspirations when Joel's like what twenty six and Ben's twenty four. That doesn't happen very often. So yes, I would have given it to Monty Williams with what he's done in Phoenix, their youth and all of that. I un- like you get no argument out of me, and I would have picked them. But to play, you know, who else would I have considered? Yeah, I would have considered Doc Rivers.
0: Yeah, I had him on my list as well.
1: So,
2: there's four coaches that deserve this award, and the recurring trend is that there's four or five players for each award, too, that are deserving. I thought Tibbs was at the very bottom of those four or five, but Coach Tibbs with the New York Knicks, very deserving. Doc Rivers was right there. Dylan, I agree with every point you made. He, he, he literally rejuvenated basketball in Philly, instilled a culture, yeah. instilled confidence. Got spacing, Daryl Morey worked his, his magic, and, and everything looks great. Like Embiid career year, Tobias career year, Ben doing Ben things. Right. So, of course, Doc deserves some, some love for coach of the year. Quinn Snyder had one of the best balances of offense and defense. And you got to think, Utah has undersized guards, so they, they really prioritize offense, but their defense has been great too. And they ran it back. Like They didn't really change anything. They ran it back and got better than they were last year. So Quinn Snyder was probably two for me. And Monty Williams, I've had it one for a little while. I keep saying situation matters. And Phoenix is the perfect situation for Monty Williams. So they struggled to find a coach. Their GM does a lot of great work. James Jones steps in there, does a lot of great work. And I mean, if you talk about some of the expectations for Philly, like Phoenix had just as as equal, if not worse, expectations than the Phoenix Suns. Like people didn't think Phoenix would be a top three seed, and they were now playoff team last year. Yeah, and and I think that bubble that bubble run helped them out a little bit in terms of Monty Williams getting coach of the year because they go undefeated eight and no. Everybody's like this team's got to get in the playoffs, but due to circumstance, they won't. So that helped. There was some tragedy in in Monty Williams' life recently with his wife and a car accident. And like you said, Scotty narrative matters. And and I'm sure that also plays a role in it because the Kobe death was, was milked like crazy last year with the Lakers winning the finals and MVP and whatever. But just in terms of what's going on in Phoenix, like they were asking who's better before the season, Devin Booker or Jason Tatum asking these questions. Is Devin Booker leaving? Does he want to get traded? But Phoenix looks incredible, and it looks like they'll be incredible for a long time because they've got a really good young core in Mikhail, in Devin, in, in DeAndre, in Jay Crowder's playing an incredible role there. They got Cameron Payne to play really good basketball. Chris Paul comes in. It's a seamless fit there, too. So I just think Monty Williams is the most deserving coach based on all those things, and it was the perfect situation for him.
0: And the only other name you guys kind of hit on all everybody that was on my list, Um, Quinn Snyder, Tom Thibodeau, and Doc Rivers, you guys literally hit the other three guys on my list. Um, The other guy I just wanted to throw in there was uh, Nate McMillan, um, who really turned the Atlanta Hawks around midseason. Definitely some credit. I don't think he can get coach of the year. He wasn't coaching them all season. So um, it's hard to give him coach of the year if he didn't coach the full year. But, um, yeah, Monty Williams all the way for me. I'm not going to disagree with you guys on that end. Um, we'll kind of move quicker here. Um, we'll move to six man of the year. Um, this is another semi-easy one for me. Um, I've, I've seen guys like Trez, Montrez Harrell listed. I've seen, you know, the Derrick Roses. Um, it's, it's Jordan Clarkson for me. Um, Donovan Mitchell went down for the Jazz towards the end of the season there, and he was the guy that stepped into his role, you know, to kind of help Michael Conley. Um, Joe Angles, all those guys, and Joe Angles is another guy that has been mentioned as sixth man of the year. But the problem is that he started a lot of this season as well. So I don't I don't really get how he could get it over Jordan Clarkson. But um I'll let you guys digress on that. Who who's your sixth man of the year? You said it perfectly. It's Jordan
2: Clarkson. I love Derrick Rose. I love what he's done since he's gotten to New York. He's played into a role really well. He's been balling, but Jordan Clarkson's been doing it consistently throughout the entire duration of the season. You said everything I had to say, so I'll defer to Dylan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. And when you look at Jordan Clarkson, he doesn't do much else, but that man can hoop and that man can put the ball through the rim. So I think he's averaging 18 and a half. I know he's over 18 points per game this season as the sixth man for Utah. Utah is the number one seed. Again, I know I keep hitting on seeding, but like that shit kind of matters in my opinion. Um, And then like, you know, what else can you really ask out of your six man? I mean, in certain circuits, they're, they're situational players. Like when you look at the Sixers and Matisse is a bench player. And, you know, we talk about his defense and his presence on that side of the floor. But if Utah's asking, you know, their six man to just come off and give them buckets and he's giving you almost 20 a game off the bench. Yeah, he's the six man. I think we kind of got that experience firsthand when he dropped 40 against the Sixers earlier in the year in Utah. Like, you yeah, you got that experience right up close and personal. So you remember uh, the, I really, uh, uh, don't...
2: Shake Milton's six man
1: of the year experience. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was everyone's 6 season. man coming into the year.
0: I that was about, be the
2: eleventh man. He might have fell yeah. out of the rotation.
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I was a victim of that shake type <laughs> at the beginning of the season, man. I I, I was saying the same shit. I think but, the injury
2: uh, the, the injury probably hurt because he, he lost some mobility immensely. That's tough to recover from for the for the time being, but I think Shake's gonna be cool. I think he'll stay in the rotation, honestly, and he'll
1: be. Cool. I'll keep I'll keep my Shake comments to
0: myself. We'll We'll talk about it when we get to the Sixers, that's for sure. Um, moving on, we can kind of just go through the surprising and disappointing teams. Um, I'll throw you guys my surprising teams, um, and then my disappointings. Um, surprising Phoenix Suns, obviously, they're the two seed. I, I didn't see them go- taking that big of a leap up to into a top three Western Conference team. Um, The other one is the New York Knicks, once again, getting up to that fourth seed. I did not think that they would be getting even into the playoffs this year. So for them to be in the top half of the Eastern Conference is completely surprising to me. Um, Disappointing teams. I got the Boston Celtics. They're sitting at, what, uh, 36-36 and in the regular season. You better include your boy in this one. Oh, I got you. I got you. You were Uh (laughs) up. man i got the new orleans pelicans cuz i go. thought with the play in situation they should at least be able to create some excitement yeah, get 10 games out, under 500 play in tournament and these guys couldn't even get to the goddamn 10th seed man. 10 games under 500 and I hope Matt McGinty, I
1: hope Matt McGinty is watching this show because before the NBA season started, we went through one through eight East and West and in the Western conference, a, I had a co-host tell me that the Phoenix Suns weren't going to make the playoffs and that was a travesty. So we had a back and forth there. B when we were talking about later down in the standings and I said, you know who that is, Scott, you know who that is? That's Dame time right there. Yeah. Dame time's making the playoffs and Gint laughed in my face and told me the new Orleans Pelicans were going to be the number eight seed or 17 <laughs> in the Western conference. Damn. And that my friend, I will be finding the tape on that pretty soon over game though. Like, yeah, dude, friends? he told me, he told me Portland was a fringe yeah. eight seed last year and <laughs> but all that shit. Get out of here. But I mean, I agree with you, Scott. Um, Phoenix is easy because no, I I mean, I expected them to make the playoffs and be good not this good, not 50 plus wins in a 72 game season. And my main one is the New York Knicks. I know I, you know, not dog Julius Randle earlier, but you know, was, was going at him a little bit when it comes to Toby, but of course they're surprising. They went from, you know, the, one of the laughing stocks of the NBA, like, oh my God, the Knicks just signed or traded for 42 power forwards. Like how, how are they going to do anything? And they're the number four seed in the East. They're surprising when it comes to disappointment. I mean, yeah, the Pelicans, obviously for the hype that you know Zion Williamson gets, and I get he he's got greatness in him, and he's a freak. But like, you know the great ones, and and I know he's still very young, but the great ones, you know, wh- what's the word I'm looking for? They they make everyone better. They ele- they elevate everyone's games. And when you're ten games under five hundred, you're shrug- I mean, you're struggling to get that out of me, my dude. Um, but outside of that. Yeah, and yeah, the Celtics, you're right. That, that That's kind of the most obvious one. They've underperformed. I know Jalen Brown's not out, not uh, there yet, but they are in the playoffs. Um, But that being said, I thought they were top four, maybe five team in the East, probably four. Um, And they just haven't had their shit together all year. I really don't know what happened in Boston this season. It seems um, like
0: always something. You know, this season, yeah, and
1: I, and I love it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, that that i um, I agree with you on both of those. Outside of that, everyone was kind of just like, eh, meh.
2: Okay, so I'll say, COVID related disappointments would be Boston and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Boston's Ooh. had to play with, I think, the highest volume of different combination lineups in the NBA due to COVID, due to injury, due to COVID related stuff. So Boston, most definitely in the East, and Minnesota. I thought they were going to be better before the season. They open their wallets. They give Malik Beasley a huge, a huge contract. Cat says it's the year for me to prove myself. People been disrespecting me. I got to play up to par. They draft Ann Edwards. They bring Ricky Rubio. Rondé Hollis Jefferson was there for a little Nas Reed. Like they were just building depth, and I thought they had a good enough core to compete, but. Uh, Unfortunately, due to COVID, cat went down. There were a few injuries there. Ricky Rubio got hurt for a little bit. Uh, They just disappointed. But happened to D'Lo. D'Lo too, like he 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 injured, did get hurt. But I mean, D'Lo was just doing D'Lo things, like a lot of shots, not great volume, not a team player. So uh, it it was just a lot of turmoil there, undefined roles. And I thought Minnesota was going to be better than they were, but uh, COVID aside. My biggest surprise, the New York Knicks, without a doubt. Coach Tibbs steps in. He instills confidence and good habits. Derrick Rose comes from Detroit, 18 a game, and he probably could still average 18 a game, but he's bought into the system where I'm protecting the ball, getting guys open looks, feeding my teammates, and playing good defense. That's what Derrick Rose has been doing. He's been incredibly efficient. They've got Taj Gibson playing really well, and you look at that team on paper before the season. It's like Alec Burks, Taj Gibson. Nerlens Noel, Reggie Bullock, R.J. Barrett after a disappointing first season, Kevin Knox, Obita. You're like, this team isn't anything. They're not a top eight seed in the East. Well, like you said, Scotty, they're the best of the rest. You could argue maybe Miami, but I think the Knicks have been incredible this season. And because of that, they've been the biggest surprise to me. Uh, the biggest disappointment has been most definitely the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, Zion is a goat. He's a young goat. And I think he's winning the MVP award within the next three seasons. But you have Zion, you trade for Steven Adams. There's a lot of money there. Eric yeah. Bledsoe, there's a lot of remaining money there. Lonzo Ball, he's got something to prove. Brandon Ingram, there's a lot of money there. They're building good depth with their bench. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Lewis. I thought New Orleans was going to be a top eight seed too. Maybe not top eight, but at least playing, I should say. They're not even there. So Minnesota, I guess covid Boston, I guess COVID, but my biggest surprise, New New York, my apologies, and my biggest disappointment, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans.
0: And you, you did mention a team that I kind of just wanted to ask you guys about before we move on here. Um, we'll get into some Sixers talk. But the Miami Heat, were, were they disappointing to you guys, or do you guys think they just kind of hit, like, bad luck? You know what I mean? Because they dealt with a lot of COVID stuff. They dealt yeah. with a lot of injuries. Um, but, you know, you're looking at them coming off a finals of appearance and then, you know, locking up the sixth seed. So so
1: they definitely got crushed with COVID earlier this year, if you remember the two games, yeah, the back-to-back they played against the Sixers when Dakota Matthias was hitting game-winning threes game for uh, the Sixers against that scrub squad that the the Heat had thrown out there. But what I'll say is, so, yeah, they got crushed with that stuff. And do I think they're the sixth-best team in the East? No, I think they're the fourth-best team in the East. But that's what they are. They're right around this mark to me. I think they greatly, I've been saying it all year, greatly, greatly, greatly overachieved in the bubble last year in that weird season. Like I, I The Heat, to me, are not an NBA Finals team. They're not an Eastern Conference Finals team. They're, they're second-round fringe Eastern Conference Finals. They're fourth, 5 seed to me. Yeah, I think they're better than the Hawks. They're better than the Knicks. But that's, that's right around where they're at. They're not at the... The tier that the Sixers, Bucks, and and Nets are. And I know, you know, if people want to throw, oh, they just beat the 76ers, ask the other. Okay, great. Congratulations, bro. Like the Sixers are coasting to the one seed. What do you want? Like, but I think uh, they haven't underperformed. They haven't, obviously, they didn't overachieve, but they haven't underperformed because they're exactly what I think they are. I mean, yeah, seeding wise, they're a little lower than I thought, but that's because of COVID. Outside of that, yeah, they're probably a four seed, five seed.
2: Miami's interesting. Miami kind of worries me not as a sixers Ah. fan, but just in general. Like, they play great defense, and defense matters in the NBA. Help defense, specifically, and in that department, Miami's got it on lock. Like, their rotations, their help defense, it's tight. And they're a three point shooting team. Like, they fire away from three. And with teams like that, if you go down, like you go down five, you might have to say goodbye because they go down three possessions, they convert hit three threes. Now that five-point lead is 10-plus, and you're clawing. So if they're hot from three, they're tough to play, especially with those rotations. Dylan, I like your point where you think they're the fourth best in the East, but seeding probably cut them a little, like five, six. Yeah. I agree with that, but Miami got really hot at the right time. Like, you look at their past 10 games, yeah, overwhelmingly doves. Well, past 15, past 20, like, they got really hot at the right time, and they beat some really good teams. Jimmy Butler's been a dog. Bam at a bio, potential defense play of the year. Really uh, I want to say revolutionized his game. He's not there yet, but 18 and 10 essentially, great defense, added a jump shot. So I don't know. Miami kind of worries me for any team, and I can't wait for that first round matchup with the Bucks.
1: Well, there'll be a first-round bounce, but
2: <laughs> hey, listen, here's what I'll say about that. And and this kind of precedes what we're going to talk about, but Giannis has a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove. They've been top seed in the East for years on end. Now they they've really underachieved overwhelmingly. And Miami is a team that has a lot to prove too. in the bubble last year. They go to the finals. Dylan, you said they probably overachieved in the bubble and you're not the only one hundreds of thousands of people are saying the same Miami shouldn't have been there. Circumstances was why they're there. But Miami's got something to prove too, And Jimmy Butler is internally motivated. He doesn't need anybody to motivate him. So if he rallies everybody in Miami, it's going to be a nasty series, that Eastern Conference series between the Bucs and Miami.
0: I, th- I think it's going to be a great matchup. Um, I, I think I'm just leaning towards the Bucs just off consistency this year. But, you know, just like you guys said, they turned it on in the bubble. They've showed that they can, you know, play really good in long spurts. Um, so it won't surprise me. I think that's probably. Outside of the Western Conference, probably the best matchup in the East in the first round. For sure. Um, Probably the the only one that I expect, you know, real competition. Um, Well, the four and five seed's pretty interesting. I think Uh, the Knicks will handle the the Hawks, though, honestly. I'll go to
1: sleep on that matchup.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess what we can do here, we can kind of – I'm trying to think, should we save the Sixers for last, or do you guys want to do playoff predictions next, or do you want to do Sixers next and say playoff predictions for last? What's
2: going to go by quicker? <laughs> I think we'll have more to talk about with the Sixers
0: probably. Yeah. yeah, so let's let's get the playoff predictions out of the way here, and then we will just kind of dig into the Sixers to end the show off. Um, so first things first, right? Um, let's, let's get it, you know. Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals. Who do you yeah. guys got? Jump right in. <laughs> go ahead, unit. Bro, the West is hard. Yeah, the West is really West is hard. hard. And the the Lakers being a seven seed make it really hard. Throws
2: everything like, off. I can't never. wait for that game. I'm hoping we get done before that game <laughs> yeah, we'll we will. On. We will. Yeah. I'm gonna
0: make sure of that.
2: Um, I, I don't know. I'm going to say the Clippers are the team that prevails out West. I really think the Clippers are going to prevail. I think they're the deepest team. And I don't know, man. I won't bet against Kawhi. But the Lakers being in the play-in, it just complicates everything. Because, like, think about it from Utah's perspective. Like, they dodged everybody. They were cool in the entire regular season. They get a one seed, right? Now they're probably going to have to play the Lakers if all goes according to plan for the Lakers. They get past the Lakers somehow LeBron and AD and that deep squad. They're going to have to play the Suns, or they're going to have to play the nuggets. Like they're going to have to play some giants and and out West, like you're going to have to battle. But part of me also really thinks Portland might make it to the Western conference finals. Portland got all the bodies necessary. They saw what happened last year and they stockpiled bodies. Like, we need bigs to throw out the bigs in the Western Conference. And in terms of guards, like offensive production, they're straight. Damian Lillard is just as deadly as Steph Curry from deep. I'm not talking three-point range. I'm talking half-court range, just as deadly as Steph. So you've got Dame, CJ, who arguably has the coldest offensive bag in basketball, and Norm Powell. Norm Powell is a monster driving to the basket, shooting, combo guard. Like, I think Portland's underratedly deep but i think the clippers prevail out west.
1: So yeah, i'll go west first as well. Um i agree it, it is tough, dude. It's really hard to pick two and I, um i kind of want to do a bracket with you guys if you guys are down for that if if we can get into that. Uh, what am into I say, no, <laughs> <laughs> um shut up unit. Uh but i agree. I think the clippers are the team that are going to come out of the west. Um but i'll say I like Phoenix, man. I think Phoenix and the Cl- and L and the Los Angeles Clippers could be the Western Conference uh, finals matchup. Um, simply because, ah, damn, I see. And of tonight. Tonight plays a huge role into huge role. my prediction listen, because
2: I was ducking smoke with Scotty right there. I'm not gonna lie. I have no idea how the plans work. I do. Yeah, I do, but. It just confuses me thinking okay. bigger picture. So I don't even know no, what so possible combination of are you teams ready? In No, the, so in the I'll tell you, you right play. now for
1: the west right now. If the Lakers win tonight, yeah. They play this they play Phoenix in the first round. Right. Yeah. Which throws off my prediction right there cuz I'm not sure. If yeah. the Lakers lose tonight and Golden State wins, Golden State plays Phoenix. And the Lakers play the winner of Memphis San Antonio. Who
2: is winning that game? By the way, I, I, think, Memphis. I think
1: Memphis is up. Okay. Whoever wins the, that matchup gets the eight seed to play Utah. So if the Lakers win tonight, they get the Suns. If they lose and win the second game, they get Utah.
2: You see how confusing that is? Like <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't absorb any of that. So when you ask me the Western Conference Finals matchup. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm it's tough. It really I was tough.
1: When, when Can, in, I'll you know. give you my East real quick to throw out a bomb for you. Yeah, go, ahead, go ahead. It's the 76ers and it's the Milwaukee Bucks.
2: Ooh. Okay. I mean, not necessarily a bomb, but just the unpopular opinion.
1: Yeah. sure sure yeah. yeah it's it's not a, it's not a hot take i didn't i didn't i didn't give you the boston celtics or nothing like that but <laughs> i'm, I, I I, I'm, I'm telling you my choice. my prediction is that milwaukee knocks out brooklyn in the second round
2: do the sixers a huge right. favor if they did yeah.
0: <laughs> i, I could see it but um yeah i was going to point it, that out like tonight has a huge impl- implication for sure the on the west, west dude so good. and you know the other thing that kind of throws me off is like, I I didn't even realize until this season and maybe this is bad of me, but I didn't realize the NBA playoffs don't get reseeded each round. Like the way you're lined up on the bracket, like that's who you're playing next. Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't. the yeah, seven seed yeah. beats the two seed, they're not going to play the highest seed in the next round. They're just going to play whoever's next in the bracket. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys as far as depending on what happens tonight, I have the Lakers knocking out whoever they play in the first round. Like, I just don't see LeBron and AD going out in the first round like that. That just doesn't seem. Oh, possible. I love nothing more. I, I it just doesn't seem possible to me unless uh, it's
1: Utah because I hate Utah.
0: So then, like that, that has implications on whether Utah or Phoenix will be available there in the second round. Overall, I, I ended up working it out. And in- can I
1: ask you guys this real quick? Since you're saying all that, Scotty, is there any chance you guys see the Lakers making it making a deep run again? Since of since. No but, it, no, but no, but you, you know it, what it, I mean? Around, but, yeah. but, but, but you're, but like, we're all this, We none of us have mentioned the Lakers going yet. We we said the Clippers, we said Portland, we've said Phoenix. None of us have said it. But just because they're in the play in, they went like, so yeah, we could say of course, but like we, none of us have made that selection.
2: It's because we don't want to. We've <laughs> seen LeBron there every season. Yeah. Like, we know it's inevitable, but we want to have our fun and act like there's some yeah. parody. So for me,
0: I, I honestly I I had this in mind of what we were just talking about. And I kind of like played it out as if, cause I, I'm assuming like my prediction for tonight is that the Lakers are going to be the Warriors. So my prediction falls in line that the Lakers are going to be the seventh seed. So I kind of did it that way. So they would be lined up with Phoenix in the first round. Um, I had them knocking Phoenix out and eventually meeting the Clippers in the Western conference finals, in which I had the Clippers beating the Lakers um, in the Western conference finals. And then on the East, side, I had the uh, – I, I do agree, Dylan. I think the, the Bucks can beat the Nets. Like, it's not out of the realm of reality. Like, it, it is possible. Um, but I did pick the Nets for the people. The people need the Nets and Sixers matchups. Yes, um, we need to see it in Philly because I, I don't believe the Nets can beat the Sixers. But I need to see it to believe – you know, to fully believe that. So, I, I – I want to see that matchup. I I want it for the people. I want it for the NBA world. I think it's what's best for basketball. But um, definitely in the realm of possibilities, the Bucs can beat the Nets. Like, I I don't want that to go unheard of. But I also believe that the Heat could beat the Bucs as well. So, like, like, it's just the the way things could play out. But um, Nets, Sixers, and then Lakers, Clippers on my end. And then I had a six. I had a, actually had a Sixers and Clippers NBA Finals. I did not pick mm-hmm. a champion, um, but it would be an interesting. My boy Johnny Uleka actually pointed it out to me the other day. If you know, the Sixers ended up playing the Clippers, and then Doc would play his old team. All of we that get, we, we get, get Kawhi one more time, yeah, and against Kawhi and Kawhi. That's yeah. a hell of a narrative. So um, that would be very interesting. Paul
1: George versus Seth. True, true.
0: Yeah, a lot, so a lot of low allies. Your, there. Uh, what about your Eastern Conference, Brock?
2: See, you guys got me thinking now. Like, <laughs> I wish it was just as black and white as the Sixers' Brooklyn Nets. I don't know. Like, Milwaukee could give Brooklyn problems. When they played Brooklyn, they went punch for punch with Brooklyn. And Brooklyn really had no solution for Giannis in, inside, really. But the thing is, like, if there's any team equipped – the game plan to stop Giannis, it would be Miami, right? So let's say Miami right, beats
1: right. Giannis, like, and then Brooklyn gets Miami. What yeah. if
2: Miami gets hot and they continue how hot they are and beat Brooklyn? And if they beat Brooklyn and Milwaukee, then it's like, God damn, who are they going <laughs> to lose to? Like, they just beat everybody. They beat Giannis, KD, Harden. I don't know if that's going to happen. I really don't. But let's say Milwaukee gets past Miami. Okay. Then they play Brooklyn. Even if Brooklyn beats Milwaukee, it's not going to be pretty. So Milwaukee might take Brooklyn seven games, and that fatigue is going to wear on Brooklyn. I think it's going to be Brooklyn-Philly. I think basketball needs that. Philly fans, Brooklyn fans, they need it. If you like the sport, that's the matchup you need. So I'll rock with Philly and Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, and so we got it across the board. So we got Philly and Milwaukee uh, with Dylan and then Brooklyn and Philly uh with me and Brock and then we got the Clippers a lot of Lakers- unknown in the west got the Clippers and Lakers for me and then I think it was Clippers and Suns for you but depending on how Yeah. It played- and then Brock you got I- the and smoke well. Yeah. Talking, talking smoke for me. Brock. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I don't know how
2: the hell this bracket works so I'm just going to
0: I'll you it's it's hard to know how it works because it's not it's not finished yet, right? Like it's true too, yeah. Um, so we'll we'll move on. We'll finish out here with the Sixers, and then I will get you guys top five players going into the playoffs at the end. I do want to get that from you guys. Um, let's talk some Sixers. I want to start out with just obtaining the one seed. I haven't talked to first time talking to Brock ever, but haven't talked to Dylan since we got the one seed. Um. So, if you guys just want to shed some light, how you feel and what that actually means for the city of Philadelphia, what it means for the Sixers and in, in the NBA as far as them getting the one seed.
1: So, a it's obviously huge for seeding reasons and and future matchups into the postseason. When you get the number eight seed, um, the entire Eastern Conference runs through Broad Street, and then you get the winner of the Hawks and Knicks in the second round. You know, you know, the Sixers shouldn't have this mindset, but we. Uh, 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 you know, here can have the mindset of the Sixers are going to be in the Eastern conference finals. That's just my opinion. Right. Um, when I look at it from the city of Philadelphia and you know, this is what I said earlier today. And it's what I'm sticking by. I just have a vibe right now. I'm chilling. I'm on cruise control until the Eastern conference finals. I believe in this team. And the last time that a team in this city held the number one seed into a postseason, a banner was raised. And that's the mindset that I'm going into this postseason season with, um, with the 76ers team. And, I just it's going to be a, it's going to be a long road in my opinion it's not it's not going to be held up short. So
2: for me you're absolutely right about seating. But I'm kind of using this as an opportunity to let people know that they can't be so nearsighted. Like you can't be so nearsighted where you see Ben Simmons and you hate him. You don't like his game, you don't like what he does, you wish he wasn't on your team. Tobias Harris is overpaid. Joel Embiid is fat and out of shape. He can't read a double team. Things like that. You can't be nearsighted. I like to preserve history. So I talk to as many old heads about basketball as I can. And I see the sparkle in the eye, the, the passion in their voice when they talk about not only Philly-specific players like Andrew, Tony, Dr. J. Moses, but just players in general. This is an opportunity for you, Scotty, for you, Dylan, for me, if we have children, if we have grandchildren, we can tell them that we watch Joel Embiid. But it's different than saying we watched Dirk Nowitzki or, or Kobe Bryant because they played for Dallas. They played for LA. Like This is an opportunity where we legitimately get to watch one of the most dominant players in basketball go to work every single night. You have Ben Simmons, who as polarizing as he is, he's an enigma. And there's not many players that do what he does. Tobias fantastic Cooper, grow man, bugger getter. Not many like him either. You've got Matisse, one of a kind defender. Doc Rivers, a coaching staff full of masterminds, Sam Cassell, Burke, Jaeger, Popeye Jones. So this is all of the right pieces of the puzzle coming together. They might tweak it over the years, but Doc got a five-year contract. Morey got a five-year contract. And this core is under contract until 2024 at least. So I'm taking this as an opportunity to really take a step back and be like, this is what we have in front of us. These are the good old days. Like when we're 40, when we're 50, we'll get to see this is what we watched or say rather, this is what we watched. So I'm just appreciating the ride. I'm here for the journey. If they fall short in the Eastern conference finals, it's whatever to me, it's whatever to me because I know they're thinking bigger picture. And ultimately when they blow it up, then people can say when they're right or they're wrong about Ben, about Joe, about Tobias, but, for the time being, I'm just enjoying this ride.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that was a, a very important point. Um, You guys both hit on some very great points. And, you know, it just kind of hints at kind of what you just said, Brock. You know, enjoy the ride. Stop, you know, criticizing so heavily and, and just be a fan. You know, we get into all of this. You know, we talk about these players constantly. And we never just take the time to, like, appreciate them as fans like we are fans at the end of the day of the sixers so just enjoy the number 1 seed you look at when when's the last time the sixers had the one seed and well, we appreciate it we us
2: appreciate and enjoy
0: it they don't yeah it, exactly and and even in philadelphia in general just team in general when's the last time a team had a number 1 spot in in anything right the eagles so, it was the Eagles, right? So when they won the Super Bowl, and we saw how special that year is, and I also think it it was good this year to see the Sixers get the number one seed over a New York, a Brooklyn team. Like, we are always, as Philly fans, I feel playing, like, this underdog role where we never get to be that top dog. Like, we always have to prove ourselves. Or if we win, it's like backs against the wall. Can I it's can like I say one thing? Top, right? Like, finally.
1: One thing with the Sixers getting the one seed and the way the matchups played out, and it's not, you know, getting over a hump or a player or a team, something like that. But when I think of the Sixers making this run this year with Joel and Embiid only being 26 and as dominant as he is, and, you know, if he can stay healthy, knock on wood of what is to come, especially with this core, like, like Brock just said, five years till 2024 and, you know, beyond there, hopefully, right? So you, you guys remember the MJ, the Last Dance documentary? Sure. And it was just in his younger in his, when MJ in his early in his career, it was he couldn't get past Boston early in the play. Like he couldn't get past Boston. Once he broke through past Boston, that's a wrap, bro. Like it's, 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 it's we know it from there, right? To me, I am not making this proclamation that the Sixers get past the second round. There are six in a row rings, they're they're a dynasty, blah, blah. It just has a feel with Joel being so dominant and being so young, and the pain that he's felt, you watch this man cry, walking down a tunnel, getting bounced in the second round. They haven't gotten past the second round. This is the year they get past the second round, in my opinion. And if they get past the second round this year, I I think that's it. I think that's the threshold that that they have to break through.
2: Look, it took Jordan years on end to win his first finals. The same for Kevin Durant, the same for LeBron James. These things take time. Very rarely do they happen overnight. You have to have the perfect situation. I talk about that again. In San Antonio, they molded the perfect situation. So whoever they inserted into that equation, yeah, it just worked. That's what the Sixers are building right now. And I had this enlightenment when Kobe passed. That was part of it. And the quad shot was also part of it. But I had this enlightenment where I'm like, these guys show up to work every night and regardless of how you feel about how how they're paid in comparison to doctors or uh, EMT first responders, things like that, it is what it is, right? But they come out every night, and most of them on the Sixers, too, play their hearts out. So I try to appreciate the product every night. I don't really care much for rivalries. Like if Jason Tatum comes out and plays the Sixers and drops 50 on the Sixers' head every single game and bounces them, it's going to sting. It's going to suck. But that's a master class. Like, I'm going to appreciate that because that dude went out and balled. And that's the way I kind of watch basketball now. So if you're playing the Lakers, LeBron drops 40 against the Sixers. LeBron just balled out. Like, things like that. It, it kind of shifted how I watch basketball where now if things go south, there's way bigger problems in the world, especially during the regular season. You had Philly media writing about how bad this team is and how many woes they have in the midst of an eight-game winning streak. It's like, are you serious? Take a step back and appreciate that this works. All of these years of people saying that we're crazy, Joel Embiid can't stay healthy, Ben can't play, it worked. So why don't you just appreciate the product they're putting on the court, the fact that they're all healthy, the fact that everybody's happy, Joe doesn't want to be traded, there's no turmoil, him and Ben are getting along, they're smiling. You can appreciate way more things than, than find things to be mad about, but the problem is it's easier to be mad. And there's a lot of those people in Philly. Yeah. it's cooler it, to it be.
1: negative. being a fan. It's, of it's, sure. it's more popular to be negative nowadays. Yeah,
0: misery yeah. loves company. That's the truth. And um, you know, I'll i kind of just piggyback off of that. You know, it, it, I I just I, I really don't get it with with Philly fans who just you know act like we have been gifted like all of these star players to just throw them down the tube Sometimes, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a Ben Simmons guy. This guy is you know. A generational talent like we we sit here and try to diss him so hard we look at the negatives so thoroughly that we just totally ignore every part of his game that is a positive (laughs) like and there's a lot that's a positive like I saw I saw a conversation earlier that was that was very interesting to me and they were talking about like Chris Middleton and Ben Simmons it's like what can Chris Middleton do better than Ben Simmons shoot that's Here's it. the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> but what does Chris Middleton? Let's say
2: you switch places, right? You put Chris Middleton on the Sixers, and you take the ball out of his hands because Embiid needs his twenty-five. If Chris Middleton doesn't have the ball in his hands, what does he do for the Sixers? Nada. But if Ben Simmons doesn't have the ball in his hands, what does he do? They win. So I mean, yeah, he's, dude he's, that
1: that is the biggest thing that pisses me off. A, let's just go back to a few weeks ago. How were the Sixers playing without Ben Simmons? Man, Bro, people oh. talk about. Think about that gut punch. Oh yeah, floor. no, they played real well without two five on the floor. I forgot about Their that. Their offense but, just didn't. It, but it didn't uh, work. right. But hold on. Um, since Ben and Joel have been together, um, they've won fifty games. How many times so far? And now they've won almost fifty in a seventy-two game season. Seven so, percent winning percentage. Right, together. right. Yeah, and they had won the best net ratings together in the entire NBA this season, but they couldn't play together. Now it's just Ben has no offensive game, and I know that something went on. Um, look, and I'm not going to talk about it because we have one of the guys, a part of that show, on our podcast often, and, and he's awesome. But something happened on a local radio station today with Doc Rivers, and apparently he got heated. I didn't listen to it, but it was, of course, over the fact that Ben Simmons offensive game and he doesn't have a floater at this point of the year and doc wasn't having any of it apparently. So neither will I, neither will I. So link
2: me to anybody that wants to talk about it. (laughs) So
1: it's unbelievable, dude. It really, it's the fact that this team is quite literally the number one seed in the Eastern conference. We are about to be back at fall capacity guys. I don't, I don't know if you guys realize that or not, but 10,000 fans will be there this week. And then it's fall capacity after that for a NBA playoff that has to run through broad street and somehow some way we're still finding ways to be negative i i, I literally don't get it you know i we're never we're will yeah. and that's the thing that's n- this thing you'll never get it i'll never get it you guys we can we can sit here and be like guys i don't get it why are we like this we'll never understand it and people are just going to keep doing it so
0: yeah.
1: i'm See just it. gonna like you said enjoy the ride i've been saying it since freaking december january enjoy the ride enjoy what's in front of you and you know, let's see how this thing plays
0: out. An easy way to reflect and you know just appreciate where you're at now. Just think about the gut punch of getting swept by Boston in the bubble last year. You know what I mean? We we were up in arms. Yeah, I, 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 I was wasn't on the end floor end for that. Season. I was at the <laughs> end, of, <laughs> end. Simmons. Yeah. I, I was I was at the end of the season. You know, basically thinking like we're in purgatory right now. Like, what do we do? We're strapped in with this undesirable Al Horford contract. We got Josh Richardson that doesn't really space the, he doesn't really do anything for the team. Oh, um, and Brett so, Brown. And Brett Brown who can't make adjustments, period. Like he can't, can't do anything. So I, I was really stuck in a back, bad place after that, that previous season. And to see them bring in Doc Rivers, bring in Daryl Morey, bring in, you know, got uh, spacers, Seth Curry, Danny Green. Um, bring bringing veteran presence like Dwight Howard to influence the team and, and just get these guys straight. Appreciate where correct, we're I think. at right now and where we could be based on the mistakes that we have made in recent history. You know what I mean? So just be appreciative. You know, we, we look at this Sixers team, and everybody always talks about, you know, and, and I get it. Like, I, I even talk about it too. You know, trading Mikel Bridges to the Phoenix Suns oh, and, well. and passing on Jason. You talk about be, perfect fit. But. Think about all of this. And they're still the one seed this year with those type of mistakes. Passing on a Michael Porter Jr. had a chance to hit, you know, all all the stuff. And this is stuff that happens to a bunch of other teams as well. You know, that goes without mentioning. But you got to just sit back, drink the tea, and relax, guys. Like, that's the thing about Philadelphia. They cannot relax, man. We cannot relax in this city. It's it's, like one bad loss. Wait till they lose their first game in the playoffs. Oh, I don't want to be here.
1: Wait till they lose game 1 like they did against Brooklyn in 2018. Wait till that happens, bro. I don't want to be here.
2: I don't want to be here for that. I Scotty, don't. you're
1: going to be down there, bro. I got. they get down late in the fourth quarter, run. Run as far yeah, away as you can do. I dude. think
2: a lot of it is like personal stuff that people have going on or it's yeah. it's emotional baggage they never really took care of. <laughs> people need cancel count can- like they got to get canceling. Oh, why can't I pronounce that right? Canceling. <laughs> They need counseling and they need to start worrying about their own work and their own coworkers because complaining about a millionaire, like J Cole said on his recent album, you're the joke. If you're the one complaining about a millionaire, Um, they're not going to, they're not going to listen to us. We can try to put all the numbers or film in their faces. And trust me, no one tries harder than I do. They won't listen. Because when the Sixers do well and they have nothing to talk about, they find something to talk about. We and got then receipts. When the Sixers don't, don't worry. Don't do well, then they use that as a vehicle to confirm everything they've said. Don't, it, don't you
1: worry. The receipts are saved, bro. <laughs> they are. I I've a few
2: myself. They they won't appreciate what they have until it's gone, and even then they won't. So let's see. Ben Simmons gets traded to Golden State, right? Golden State comes in town to play Philly. Ben drops fifty and takes ten Js just for the hell of it. <laughs> Then everybody will have something to talk about, and that's going to happen. Like at some point, Ben won't be on on the Sixers; he'll come to Philly and drop them off. And then people are going to say, "Oh, I wish we had Ben. Why didn't we extend Ben?" And then it's going to be like, "You idiots, complain happen, about him for dude. five years. No, why do you think?" Like,
0: it's going to happen, man. dude. It's dead ass going to play like that. Nick I don't Kelsey. know if it'll be the Warriors, but Ben Simmons Kelsey. will come back here and he will shit on us. I swear yep. to God so let's let's move on we know how important it is obviously we get it we appreciate it we're going to enjoy this ride um enjoy the playoff run what do you guys think the rotation is going to look like right is doc going to cut the rotation down what what are you guys thoughts on that and then my big point here is ken Maxey and Will, well not kenny because i i think he should does maxi crack the playoff rotation under doc rivers this this postseason i'll try to
2: be quick uh everything is going to be matchup based i think so if you play atlanta if you play new york if you play washington indiana doc will not hesitate to use a 10 11 man rotation that 11th man is where i'm running into problems i don't know who it is is it mike scott is it tyrese maxi but regardless i co-sign i think there's genuinely 11 players That can be on the floor and impact the game if you play an Indiana, a Washington, not a bottom dwelling seed, but an Atlanta team, a New York team. But when you play Brooklyn, when you play Milwaukee, there's going to be 38 minutes, 36 minutes for Tobias, Ben, and Joe. That means there's only 10 to 14 minutes for a bench player. Okay. Dwight needs those minutes. Matisse he probably needs more than that. Maybe 20 minutes, 22 minutes. So Matisse is going to take some minutes away from a player like Seth, a player like Danny Green. And then the question remains, well, who else is on the floor? If there's 10 to 14 minutes remaining, who gets those minutes? George Hill, he definitely needs to be on the floor too as a point guard veteran presence. And he's been there 11 times specifically. Then you ask, is Shake Milton that 10th man is Tyrese Maxey. That 10th man is Mike Scott. The 10th man is for Korkmaz. that 10th man who knows, but what you need is a balance, a balance of both veteran and youth presences on the floor, but also a combination of players that can be non- dynamic, put the ball on the floor and dribble, shoot, defend multiple positions, fit in with different combinations of lineups. So if you play Brooklyn, you play Milwaukee, maybe even Miami, the rotation probably gets cut to nine but it's still going to be a deep rotation, but matchups going to dictate everything. If you played a team early, I wouldn't be surprised if they rock with an 11 man rotation.
1: So I agree with Brock matchup based is going to be the key for this postseason run. Um, and I, I do nothing but praise doc, but doc has not really shown me much this entire year to make me believe or think that he's going to shrink the rotation when the time comes. So I agree. Our first two rounds, yeah, Maxi will play. Like they'll get minutes against late in games, or if a spark is needed against, um, you know, Indiana or against Washington, or you know, second round against the Knicks or whatever it may be. But you know, when you get to that Eastern Conference Finals, when you get however far you want, you know, realistically, you'd like your rotation to be nine, eight, nine, whatever it is. And I just haven't seen where that's going to come into play. And like the the, the reason I say that with and. To go off of Brock's point of you need a balance is like it's not fair to have you know your starting five and then like if you have a nine man rotation have four but let's say like one's not working out like let's say Corks in that rotation he's not working out well now Maxi gets thrown in in game three and then you know Maxi struggles and then you know what I it's it, there's well, no balance there then
2: that's more so a Brett Round thing than a Doc Rivers thing. So the do adjustments it. thing, I don't really see it with Doc. Like, I think Doc's great at making adjustments on the but So front. do I,
1: but, but, but rotation-wise. No, no,
2: yeah, okay. Um, but what I think is going to happen is if you play the Atlanta Hawks, you play a 5 seed, whatever, what's going to happen is his second rotation, his second unit, it's going to be 5 or 4 deep because he likes going small with a big. So when Embiid, and Tobias aren't on the floor or if he stagnates minutes, Dwight's going to be out there. Matisse is going to be out there. Shake and George Hill are both going to be out there most likely. And Furkan Korkmaz, that's if he goes uh, one rotation, another rotation, a second man. But if he does that nine-man rotation where it's five on and then four, whatever, I don't think he's going to throw like Tyrese Maxey into a situation where he he hasn't been comfortable or not familiar. So what I think is going to happen is like he'll take that five-man unit, right? Let's say he cuts it down and George Hill – or Shake Milton is the player that doesn't see the floor. What I think will happen is, like, if one night Shake is one for four with two turnovers in the first half, that's it. Release is short. We're putting Tyrese Maxey here because he knows how to play that role. But I don't think he's going to take, like, Furkan Korkmaz and put him in George Hill's role because that's just not what you want to do in, in the playoffs. That lack of continu- continuity can't help.
0: Yeah, and I I think I, I kind of agree with you both. Um, I was earlier in the season more under the thinking that we would shrink it down to like an eight-man rotation. Um, after after watching the season play out, I, I get it. I think what I want to change or what I want you know adjusted is kind of what you guys are getting at. I don't I don't want to see those full rotation swaps. Like I don't want to see a five-man swap. All I don't think the- it can it can't happen. Five bench players on the court at once. But with it happening all season, I don't think that it's just all of a sudden going to flip the switch now and, and change. You know what I mean? I think we would have saw that in some of the more important games where that just wasn't happening. I, I think Doc's going to stick to his guns and he's going to continue to do that. And uh, I agree with you guys that it is matchup based. There's there's certain matchups where I think we will need guys like Mods just as a shooter in the corner or, you know, creating offense with his pump fakes. Um, you will need games where you'll need George Hill's experience, his veteran leadership, his defense, and his shooting, um, his drive into the lane. And then there's those other games, you know, where, you know, maybe one of these games in the playoffs gets out of hand at first. And, you know, you just need a spark to bring some energy one night. You're going to throw Tyrese Maxey in there to get you some bucks. So there's different situations for all these guys. And I, I think you guys were spot on with the way you answered that question. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of what we've seen. Um, Doc trusts a lot of these guys. He trusts Mike Scott. You know, I might not trust Mike Scott. Dylan what? might not trust Mike Scott, but he trusts Mike Scott. He throws him out there in important situations. You've even seen Mike Scott play the center position for us in a small ball lineup. So I'll turn the TV off. I'll I'll put on a different <laughs> channel. Well, I think that. I, I've said throughout the season, I think that's because he's keeping
2: legs fresh and trying to prevent injury. Like the last thing you want is Dwight Howard getting injured uh, because he's just going to be on the glass and applying pressure and defensively he's an anchor. So I think Mike Scott was more so like circumstantial playing that many minutes. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if Matisse Ibel's is the sixth man, the first man off the bench in a series against Brooklyn or Milwaukee, because it's like, think about this. You can keep Ben on the floor, Tobias on the floor, and beat on the floor, and a three-point shooter, but you get Matisse in there. Your defense is unforgiving, and the offensive production—it's still there because Matisse isn't going to be the first, second, exactly. or third offensive option. So well, that—that's
1: what I've—that's what I had mentioned to you before about possibly switching up the starting lineup come a Brooklyn or Milwaukee series because you provide that offense with T. I mean that defense with T and when people are like, "Oh, but he, but he'll sc- he won't score in 18 minutes." Okay, well, if he's in the starting rotation, he's the fourth or fifth option offensively, so he doesn't need those touches.
2: Yeah, but docs, docs are oh, old Oh, head. it, oh, doc's it's not going to happen.
1: No, it'll never we happen. I'm just saying when, 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 <laughs> no, when, when <laughs> I, you. hear you I hear you though. though. I hear you though.
0: Oh, you I'm, I'm sorry. Of silence. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Yeah, we
2: pulling the plug.
0: <laughs> we can go ahead and move on to the next one, guys. We talked about the rotation. Um, quick question, guys. We know who the most important players are on the team. Um, who is that key guy that you're thinking really needs to kick it into gear or maybe just keep up the consistency from the regular season? Who is the most important player to the Sixers team in the playoff run this year?
2: I'm not going to give a popular answer. I'll save that for Dylan. I'm going to say Dwight Howard. And let me be honest here. I think Dwight's contributed to winning and maintaining this first seed more than a lot of players on the Sixers. Now, if you look at what Dwight does in his role, all he's got to do is play Dwight's game. Get on the glass. Create second chance points. Create second possessions. Get a rebound. Find an open player. But what Dwight does is pivotal. Screen setting is pivotal in the modern NBA, giving guys space to create. If he sets screens for someone like Ben, for Tobias on the bench, George Hill, Shake, Tyrese, he's going to create a lot of opportunities just by doing that. Rolling is going to create a lot of problems for defenses too because he's got rolling gravity. If he's rolling, someone's got to tag him. That might create an open shot in the corner for someone. But more important than any of that, it's making the game easier for Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid is the crown jewel. Right? He's the player you're going to rely on to win you a playoff series. So, what has to happen is in the 10, 12 minutes when Embiid's not on the floor in the playoffs, Dwight's got to play his game and draw fouls. Put opposing centers in a foul trouble. Because if he does that, that's less bodies to throw at Embiid. And the less bodies you have and the less able bodied players you have to throw at Embiid, the game becomes easier for him. So, if Dwight just plays his game, I think he's going to be super impactful. And I'll go with Dwight. Dwight. Is the X Factor? If I'm not giving a
1: sexy answer, I like that. So are are you looking like X Factor? Or are you looking like most? Like, are just like my one guy?
0: Me
2: specifically? Or, no, or no, breath? Scott.
0: Your question. <sighs> I don't know. That's a tough question. Brock took it in a different direction. So I'm. I'm no, no, no. I like Brock's answer. My, my, So what I was not asking, for, I was asking who, who do you think is like the most important piece? Yeah. I was thinking along the lines of Tobias, yeah. Bede, you yeah. know, Ben Simmons. Brock took it in a different direction. That, that's a great idea, honestly. No, the X factor is a huge
1: thing. Um, yeah. But if I'm going strictly off of, um, you know, who needs to keep up or who needs to be that guy, it's Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are going to say Ben Simmons has to elevate his game offensively in the postseason, or Tobias Harris has had to prove himself in the postseason and he needs to keep up 20 points per game. And it's all true. It's not wrong. Joel Embiid's been, been the most dominant player in basketball. And I know earlier in the show, I I I didn't I said he wasn't the MVP. The other center out West is. That doesn't mean he's, he's not the most dominant player or the better center, for that matter. He is. And in order for the Sixers team to be successful this postseason and to beat a Brooklyn Nets, because that's where my mind's at. Again, it shouldn't be where the Sixers' mind's at. Sixers' mind should be on Sunday Afternoon or night, whatever time their game is against the number eight seed, that's where their mind needs to be. My mind is the Eastern Conference finals because that's where I truly believe this team's getting to pretty easily. Okay. And when that comes to when that comes to mind, it comes to Brooklyn, it comes to Milwaukee, whoever it is, he needs to be the best player on the floor. I know Kevin Durant's out there. I know James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Giannis. uh, You know, let's just throw Miami in the conversation for the sake of it. Jimmy, he needs to be the best, the most dominant player. On the floor like he has been all season long, because there's no answer for him. There's none. If he gets to the line as much as he does, if his jump shots automatic like it was for a lot of this year, if he's passing out of double teams like he has for a lot of this year, he's going to make everyone else. It. If he's on Ben's games easier, Tobias' life's easier, and if he's passing out double teams the way he has 95% this year, Danny, Seth all those guys lives are easier and joel's averaging 30 to 35 in a series that's it i mean x factor sure there's a couple different x factors i could i i agree with with uh brock but if i'm going like who needs to be the guy it's it's joel
0: yeah and uh i think you guys you guys went in two different totally different directions there and i think you guys are both right so Um, it actually worked out, and I guess I'll go in an even more different direction. Um, because I'm gonna go Ben Simmons, and it's not for the same reasons that you know the Novus fan would say or what they need Ben Simmons to do. It's not that I need like Ben Simmons to increase his metrics in the playoffs and become this 20 point scorer, 10 assist guy, doesn't have to be that. I just want to see Ben on a full go the whole playoffs. I don't want to see these ghost Absolutely. games where Ben is not like into the game. And, and I don't think I will. I think we're going to see a different side of Ben this year. I think he is out to prove some people wrong. And um, I just, I, I want to see him be the leader that I know he is. He's, he's not a leader in the scoring column. We know that he leads in other areas of the floor. He's our facilitator. We saw us against the Celtics last year in the playoffs. We had Toby, we had, we had Joel Embiid, Obviously we didn't have the same team. We didn't have Doc Rivers, we didn't have the the shooters, but this team looked stagnant as hell. They can they, they barely they they improved the ball handling this year. I'll give them that because they brought in a guy like George Hill, guys like uh, Tyrese Maxey, who can be that natural point guard that handles the ball dominantly. But I mean when when you take Ben out of the equation, it strips you of so many things. It strips you of the best facilitator on the team. It strips you of the best ball handler on the team, the best driver on the team, the best perimeter defender on the team, right? So all these things are into account, and, and we're not even talking about his intangibles at that point. We're just talking about what he does in the in the metrics. So exactly. his intangibles are unmatched, and what he means to this team, I guess, is where I'm getting at, what, like... Obviously, we're not going to win without Joel Embiid. You know what I mean. I don't see us going anywhere without Joel Embiid. So, in that but sense, it's the
1: same thing for Ben. And ben. I think that's what people yeah. need to understand.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. There. they won't. Yeah, that it, it's it's a great point, and I think you know, it's crazy that people still slander Ben after seeing that Celtics series last year because it totally opened my eyes. I I realized that this team isn't a full go without Ben. You you think about who pushes the tempo.
1: Right. know because, what I mean because they're, they're, we have a point guard with who doesn't shoot a jump shot, but so he's not a true point guard. So it's all so
0: how stagnant that offense was out with was w- without Ben and what it looked like only the pace had one everything great different. perimeter defender. You only had Matisse Thibault. He can only guard it's, one person when it comes down to, to you know those clutch moments in the game. So Ben means exactly. so much to this team, and and I think you know I hope Philadelphia finds an appreciation for him in the playoffs. They won't, but I, I hope they do. I'll always continue that hope. I, I just feel like he's one of those guys that is severely underappreciated, but no wrong answer there, guys. I, I will give us that. Agreed. Um, last question, and we're kind of going to end it on this. We, we've, we're pushing two hours here. I was about to say,
2: time <laughs> I link up with Dylan, we go way Whoa, gone. whoa, whoa, whoa. Not I, I, it's, it's not your fault, but show, when guys. I get around people like you, there's just no end in sight. Like they're real, it's very hard to come to an end. And unfortunately, my Mac has like 10 minutes left of, of battery life. And I can't multitask because my adapters are plugged in with the mic and camera. But I'm sure if we had like an opportunity to be candid and yeah, man. No battery, like there would be no end in sight. The only thing stopping me is a chair. Because I can't stand <laughs> for this damn long. And I'm working on my studio, so I'm not- For two me. hours, dude, you've
0: been standing, my Many man.
2: Many time, bro. Uh, it, it builds character. I like to say I, I can a- articulate my thoughts better, but I'm
1: capping about that. This is- I'd capping. be wild. Wa- I'd be wobbling side to side like off one foot. But well, we're working the right on the floor. studio.
0: I got the chair, the yeah. for it, so I'm working on. It. Let's go. I, I need to get a new mic. I know that, but uh, that's a that's a different story. Different different um, story for a different day. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So final final question. I'll toss to you guys. I'll let you guys go after this. First round matchup for the Sixers. I won't say who do you want. Who is the better team of the Pacers and the Washington – or the better – the bigger miss – or the bigger matchup for the Sixers, the better matchup for the Sixers out of the Wizards and the Pacers? Who would you rather play? Go ahead, All
1: right. Let me preface this by saying that no, I'm not scared by either team. Sixers beat them <laughs> in four or five. So I hate – I don't want people to get that twisted. like, oh, you don't want to it's play this person. Right.
0: Dodge what I'll say Sixers.
1: is the Pacers are the better overall team. But the Pacers have a bunch of guys. The Pacers have a bunch of dudes. Scott, I saw your tweet earlier about DeMontis Sabonis. I get it. To me, he's not a superstar. To me, he, he's a, he's an all-star um, who won't win you a game. So they, to me, I'd rather play the Pacers because they have a bunch of dudes. The Wizards have two killers. The Wizards have a du- two dudes that can go out and drop 40 to 50 and kill you and win a game on their own. Now, the rest of the team isn't very good. We've seen that all year long, right? So that's why neither of them are- scare me. The the Sixers, I think, have beat the Pacers two of three, and they beat the Wizards all three times they played them or whatever. So they're going to sweep or win in five. However, if you're asking me who I'd rather play, I'd rather play the Indiana Pacers because, yeah, they're a better overall team, but they've been re- right a week before the postseason started. They were literally like a, a dumpster fire internally. So who knows what's going on with them? I get Karis Lavert has killed this team before. I get Malcolm Brogdon. I get DeMonte Bonus. If Miles Turner's healthy, they're a better team. Bradley Beal can drop 50 on your head. Russell Westbrook can give you 20, 15, and 11 next to Bradley Beal's 35. And we've seen this Sixers team versus Little Guards. I, I, it's not that I don't want it because, like I said, they'll beat them handily, but that's the least of the two that I want to play against in the, in the first round. Like the Sixers finally got the one seed. I don't want to see Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal in the first round as the eight seed. That's fair. So the star
2: power point is true. If you don't have star power in the playoffs, you're probably going to struggle. What I say is neither team matches up with them physically, so neither cool. team is a problem. Yeah. I think Indiana has a better balance of offense and defense and bodies to throw at Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias, but you look at Washington, to your point, there's two killers, but Alex Len, Robin Lopez, that's not going to cut it against Embiid alone. Then you've got to find a matchup for Ben Simmons, who's 6'10", and that Russell Westbrook matchup isn't going to be pretty. And then you got to find a matchup for the 6'8", Tobias Harris. I think Indiana has bigger bodies that they can throw at those three, But then again, neither of them match up with Philly physically well at all. So I think either matchup is cool, and the Sixers should dominate both
0: teams. Yeah, and uh, I think you guys both got your point across well, and and I'm with you. I think the Sixers sweep, or or gentlemen sweep at least, um, with both of these teams. I said last night, you know, I watched both of those games yesterday, and I think I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said on Twitter that I would rather play the Wizards. Now I, I get your point, Dylan, because you know, when you think about guys like Bradley Beal, um, a walking triple double and, and Russell Westbrook, those those type of things can turn, you know, certain games. If, if games get tight and Bradley oh, Beal's right. fire. One
1: more thing, now that you mentioned they can, Russ.
0: They can steal one. Right. right. <laughs> Especially
1: because what is one thing defensively the Sixers struggle with? Transition defense. Right. Russ has them as the as the first ranked first in pace in the entire nba and that's just something like i'd rather not have to play against
0: that's fair man and i i guess what i was looking at i i just look at the indiana pacers and i just look at them as just like what you guys said they're just a better team like they have more guys now their guys aren't their top guys aren't as good as the wizards top guys but they got more guys that are just in that like good area you know what i mean so I, I look at guys like Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, now this is all pending health as well. So Karis LeVert just went into the health and safety oh, protocol. Yeah. He should be back by some point in that first round series. Um, I'm not sure what the timetable is on Miles Turner. That would be a huge thing, you know, for them. Now I'm not under the belief that Miles Turner is some Embiid stopper, but he would at least be another. He's a body. A, yeah. He's a suitable body to throw at Embiid. He's, he's a good defender, um, but I I am looking at that Pacers is just a more well-rounded team. I guess I look at the Wizards where let's go ahead, you know, throw our best defenders at at Beal, throw our best defenders at at Westbrook and let the other guys, you know, see if they sink or swim. Like we we shut down Beal and Westbrook, then what? You know what I mean? After that, like, even if you just shut down Beal, right? Like Westbrook's not going to come out shooting threes and hitting jump shots at, at, you know, (laughs) out of the gate. So, I, I would go the Pacers is who I would rather not play it, I, I guess, in this sense. But I'm with you guys. I think it's gentlemen's sweep at the very least with both of these teams. And and it would take like Bradley Beal going for 60 for the, the Sixers to drop one against sure. Sixers or, you know, something weird with the Pacers. I, I don't know what it would take with them. It would just be something weird. They but they shoot the three ball well and they uh they actually yeah, play
1: the holiday games. brothers will kill us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, and, and for some reason, Karis Levert, like I don't, I don't get what his thing is against Philly. Like he always plays his best ball against us. But um, yeah, I think either way, we should be locked in for the playoffs. I'll be there for Game One on Sunday. Um, got got my tickets yesterday, so I'm excited about that. And I don't, I don't really care who we play. I was actually kind of hoping for the Celtics after seeing Tatum mm-hmm. <laughs> drop that 50 burger last night. I was like, okay, yeah, they can go play Brooklyn. Um, I, I'll, I'll pass on that. I think we would beat the Celtics, but you know I'm not. I don't even want to deal with Jason Tatum, honestly. Um, but I, I will go ahead and get you guys out of here. It's been a long show. We're about to. Long. We're two minutes away from from two hours, guys. If you guys want to go ahead and plug yourselves one more time before I hit the outro,
2: uh, on Twitter Landis Brock, YouTube Brock Landis, and we'll be doing this again. Believe that. Maybe not two hours. This this career <laughs> high. Pushing yeah, three high. next time. But we we will be doing this again.
1: Yeah, man, just give me a follow at DylanJD98 if you want to. And then the big thing is DSM Media. That's what we're all about. Scotty, myself, and Gint, give us a follow or subscribe to us on YouTube at DSM Media and follow us on Twitch at DSM Media as well. It's the same thing to be entered in for a chance to uh, win our giveaway to Joel Embiid City Edition t-shirt that will be going out uh, sometime next week. And we'll be doing more of those. A lot of fun content from the three of us working more together. Um, and then tomorrow, just as far as the, uh, my show goes, the Daily Dose with Dylan Davis on the Pain Alliance Network, I'll be having um, Hunter Brody on the show tomorrow to talk more NBA playoffs, 76ers, and probably some Phillies at the end of it uh, for any baseball fans out there. So lock into that. Lock into my Twitter tomorrow uh, for updates on that.
0: Perfect, guys. I want to thank you guys one more time for coming on my show. Um, this has been one of the best episodes of Scotty Talks NBA. Um, the honestly, longest episode. So, so, thank you guys for joining me. Um, we will definitely collab in the future. I think I think tonight was just a unique episode. Um, we had a lot of topics, you know, with the regular season ending, so it did get a little carried away. But um, nah, it's Brock. He always does. This. <laughs> it,
1: it, I'll take the blame.
2: It is me. I'll take the blame.
0: <laughs> hey, because you got you got to get your points out there. All of us. So we, we all got good stuff to say. Be sure to follow both of these guys. Um, Be sure to follow me as well on Twitter and Instagram at Scotty Drown. You can find the sports page at ST Philly sports one. That's going to be it for this show, guys. Thank you guys. Once again, thank you guys out there for tuning in. That's it. Be sure to subscribe. Peace.